Hey there, everybody. Welcome to the show. I am Bobby Burns. And I'm Paul Sexton. Around the world and into your home, the stories that touch your life. This is Wayward Weekly. Hey there, everybody. Welcome to the show. This is Wayward Weekly, episode nine. Let's dig in. Last week, uh, we tried to finish talking about uh, a robotic future, um, a little bit about uh, recreating a middle class with a robot structure. Uh, I just want to say I said a bunch of things that I probably don't mean or know a whole lot about pertaining to basic universal income. I had some thoughts and uh, they weren't well settled yet. I need to sit on them a little bit longer and come back to them. So if you're thinking, what in the hell is Bob saying about... <clears throat> Um, everybody built this or uh, that a basic universal income starting with giving away gas or utilities or this or that. Um, come back to it because if you have holes in, in, in that or you want to poke holes in it, I'm all for it. Go ahead. I'm not, I'm not going to back that up at all whatsoever. Um, about halfway through the episode, we switched gears to a little, uh, switch gears a little bit, and we began talking about habits. We barely scraped the surface. I could talk about this topic for hours upon end, uh, and that's where I'd like to pick it back up right now, um, and maybe a little bit later this episode, uh, we will go over Paul's weekend last weekend, where he went to some of the protests uh, for the Freedom Foundation. Is that what it's called, Paul? Uh, it's Freedom Angels, but it was uh, a very diverse group. There were a lot of different groups that showed up there, aside so from the Freedom Angels. He went up and uh, the Freedom Angels were protesting uh, some of the California shutdown aspects up in uh, Sacramento, California. And you said there's about 2,000 individuals there? More? Less? Uh, well, it was reported by the police that they thought there was around 2,000 people there, but I heard um, some reports suggesting that there may have been up to 12,000 people. I would say probably at the max, maybe 5,000 people. Who knows? Maybe 12,000 people showed up throughout the day because it wasn't necessarily just a a one massive group of people. There was a massive group of people, which you can see some from, from our, uh, our Twitter feed and everything. I'm going to put up some more videos uh, here in the future. But I mean, you had RVs, big rigs, people circling the Capitol. Um, so there, there was more to the group than just what you saw in terms of the crowd. So, uh, and there may have been people coming in and out of there throughout the, d the day, depending on how much time they actually had to uh, invest in terms of being there, you know, because it was, there was, I think, 35 speakers uh, all together that were on the stage. Um, so it made for a very long day. So it's hard to really say how many stayed there the whole time, how many left and vice versa. So awesome. So we will come back and we will revisit that uh, and hear about it, learn about it uh, and talk about it. <clears throat> so going back to habits, um, this will probably be something that really just comes up a lot throughout our episodes. Um, again, because it is my area of education and expertise. Um, Paul, did you have any questions that you wanted to talk about, uh, relating to habits before we dig in here? Were there things that we talked about last episode that you feel like we didn't really cover or we only skimmed over and touched the surface? Uh, not that I could uh, think of. Um, the only thing that I would have to report is, you know, I'm still incorporating what I've learned in Atomic Habits. I'm still creating daily task sheets and everything. And for someone like me who is a habitual procrastinator and uh, spends way too much time in my own head, uh, 
trying to plan out things, Mm -hmm. you know, as the day goes along, which means I waste a lot of time. Like this has been extremely valuable for me, um, in terms of maintaining, um, my presence and getting tasks done accordingly. So it's been hugely beneficial in terms of that. And I've actually found that I am getting a lot more done and I'm much calmer about it. Are you doing that's beneficial? Well, today I have, uh, 29 tasks uh, that are set up throughout the day, including this podcast. Um, I had it scheduled for, let's see, between 2.30 and 4.30, but I made this last night. Um, So I didn't really know when we were going to start. So do you you make it every night before you go to bed, which you're going to do tomorrow? Yes. Okay. Yeah. That's that's probably a good place to start. Um, So look, one thing I want to point out is that... um, just because I understand behavior change quite a bit and habits and how they work uh, doesn't necessarily mean I'm great at changing my own habits because what I've studied is um, how, I mean, it's it's how to change behavior in general. Um, and it really requires, like we talked about last week, um, what we call rewards or reinforcement. Uh, reinforcement is motivation to change a behavior. And one of the biggest issues or struggles that we come into contact with when we talk about um, changing our own behavior is that we have control over our own rewards and our own reinforcers, right? Uh, and so we talked about that a little bit last week with, um, you know, you possibly giving some money to your, your sister or your mom. What was your reinforcement system again. So if you get 85% on your task list done, then what? Oh, I, you know, I actually, uh, haven't given myself a, a reward and, um, which I think made it a little bit more of a struggle initially because you don't really see the gains that you're making, um, right away. So I'm not getting any immediate reward, but after doing this for about three weeks now, uh, the amount of things I've gotten done, um, how on task I am, even with the case that I'm working on, I know exactly what I'm going to do each right. and every day. And over the course of these three weeks, um, I've made a lot of progress and it's been consistent progress. I haven't, the reward is I'm not feeling the angst and anxiety that I would feel by pushing things off. Well, in some of that, that immediate, you know, you said you're not giving yourself a reward. And, and so part of the reward that you are getting is the mental satisfaction, right? That in itself, yes. the feeling of accomplishment, the idea that you're working on something new or towards something greater is a reinforcer. So by definition, if a behavior increases and you do it again the next day, it was somewhat reinforcing. In other words, that first day that you made the schedule, if you did it again the next day, you complete, you know, uh, 85% of the things on your task list uh, on day one and the next day you do it again, something about it was reinforcing. Okay. Because if you completed 85% of the things, and then I walked in and I said, congratulations, Paul, you completed 85% of the things on your task list. And I shot you in the leg with a gun and said, don't do it again. Are you going to do it again the next day? Absolutely not. Okay. Well, and that's a bit of an extreme case. I can't like, then technically maybe you can't actually get up and walk around. So let's just say I punch you in the stomach about 10 times as hard as I can, or I tase you with a taser. Are you going to do it again? And you might. And if I come and do that again the next day, over and over and over, every day you get 85% of your things done and I tase you, you're going to stop doing that. And that's what we call a punisher. So all I'm trying to say here is uh, that something about it is rewarding and it's important for us to explore this. I'm not trying to be like, oh, Paul, you said this and uh, you're technically incorrect. What I want to point out is that 
reinforcement doesn't have to be this big thing that you always give yourself. There is some mental aspect of reinforcement where it is just rewarding the way we view ourselves. And that is part of what cognitive behavioral therapy goes into, what you talked about last week um, or what you asked me about last week. And so, um, dude, and, and you're like, uh, when you asked me about that, I'm like, no, there is a branch of ABA that, uh, that goes into that. And I totally thought of the term this past week here. <laughs> and I sat in on all week and I was reading about it and this and that, and I forgot the damn term again. So, um, I apologize <laughs> for that. Um, but it, uh, again, it just has to do with like how we interpret our language and, and the way we think. And I, again, the whole point of it is <clears throat> how we view ourselves and the conversation in our head can be rewarding. You go, oh, I got 85% of the things done. And just that conversation, the way you picture yourself now, the way you view yourself is rewarding because you feel like you're becoming a better person. And so that in itself is a reward. It just may not be enough of a reward to sustain the behavior, right? Yeah. So, well, and, and, and there's also, uh, there's, I'm sure people listening right now that are just like, wait, you're creating a task sheet for yourself every single day which is the same thing as just inputting, you know, your daily schedule into yeah. Google Calendar, which yep. is what what they already do each and every day. So there's a lot of people out there that have the trait, which is a maximizing trait, an achieving trait, where they um, they naturally have habits in place that that achieve a lot of tasks throughout the day or projects throughout the day. They're already doing that, and. What I would say to those individuals is maybe they need to schedule in time where they do what I do, which is to just be a little bit introspective and to think about their day, think about their presence, think about the future, think about how they're going to tackle the next day, kind of allow their head to go into the clouds. And let me give you an example. I believe the philosopher's name is, uh, I think it's uh, Bertrand Russell. Yeah, Bertrand um, Russell. He's he, a philosopher of language um, back in the early 20th century. Yes, and I'm hoping I'm not. Uh, I'm hoping this story. Twenty first century. Oh my god, I fucking hate 20, centuries. Yeah, because they're always. Yeah, it's, <laughs> yes. it's kind of confusing. Yes. But I know what you meant exactly. And I think he he crossed over. I think he was he existed in the twentieth and twenty first century. I believe wasn't okay. he born? I think I so. You I were, can look you that were, up. You were right. You're probably right because I'm more familiar with one of his contemporaries, uh, Ludwig Wittgenstein. Um, yeah. So. It, well, and the reason why I bring him up is because uh, there was a story that uh, um, about him, um, which he would basically, I mean, being a philosopher, he did spend a lot of time in his head, and he would sit at his desk with a blank page for up to 10 days, never writing anything down. Now, if you're the person that schedules everything into Google Calendar, that will drive you nuts. How could you not be getting anything done, you know, in that 10 days, just a blank page? But that's kind of what I do. And I'm not saying that I'm on par with Bertrand Russell or anything like that. These are just idiosyncratic traits, you know, and but the thing the thing is for Bertrand Russell is it was beneficial to him because he wasn't doing nothing. Right. He was thinking, reflecting and mowing over the thoughts in his head before he put his pen to paper. So when he did put his pen to paper, 
like he had a profound impact on society, which is why we still remember his name, which is why I'm suggesting that if you are the type of person that is already, you know, very much present and engaged in every single task that you're doing and you're getting a lot done, maybe it'd be beneficial for you to kind of open up a little bit and maybe schedule an hour in where you just reflect on what you're doing. Okay, you're getting a lot done, but is this what I should be doing? Is this the the avenue I should be taking? Sure, you know, I think- uh, Philosophize I'll, a little bit personally. I'll a lot of people like that are just going, 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 right? They're never, what you're saying, stopping mm-hmm. and thinking and, and viewing their lives. And I think I used to be like that a lot, especially when I was younger, <clears throat> that my life was just crammed full of shit um, from the moment I woke up at like, say, six o'clock in the morning till the moment I went to bed at midnight or one o'clock in the morning. Yeah. It was just go, 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 go. And I never had time to stop and sit back and see what is my impact on the world right now? What is it that is happening to my friendships, my relationships? Am I really building my life in the direction that I want it to go? Um, and I mean, that's that's a different uh, um, thing we can get into later uh, this episode. I think it would probably be a good time to bring it up. But um you know, the, the idea was, is I just didn't stop and look and think. And had I done that, I would have been like, like when I look back now, I'm like, dude, what was I doing? Like I was just going for the sake of going because I I was told that like, it's good to be productive. Um, and I never stopped to think on how I was, um, portraying myself to others, to my friendships, my relationships, my parents. And not that it was bad, but it was just, I was so unaware of, of my behavior and how I was perceived. I mean, like, um, I just look back at it and I look, I I think I look like I was a little bit crazy, um, just with how much I worked and how much school I took on and like, like my hobbies. And, you know, it was like, almost like I was avoiding something, but I wasn't, I had just been told, you know, be productive. And, and so I started to, and tried to as much as I can. I don't, I don't regret any of it. I just wish that someone maybe had told me something like what you're saying right now. It's okay to schedule in time to sit there, to stop, to think, to meditate. That is a behavior maybe that, that some people need to add into their repertoire as opposed to creating uh, a daily schedule or a daily task list. And I completely agree with that. Exactly. And it it sounds like uh, you and I both went through uh, or had a similar circumstance uh, going through school. When I first started uh, law school, I was working between 55 and 60 hours a week. Um, on top of going to school at night. And then I didn't have uh, days off. I was putting in between uh, nine and 12 hours a day, just going through my legal case books. And then basically, you know, uh, reflecting for maybe just a few minutes before I went to sleep, I'd wake up the next morning at 4.30 in the morning, I'd go to work, do the same exact thing, drive down to Santa Barbara, go to school for three hours, I'd get back at 11 o'clock at night, I'd wake up and do the same exact thing again. But with me, um, it doesn't work naturally. I hate that existence. Even though I was getting a ton done, I'm I'm, uh, an introvert and I was I mean, I may not come off as introverted now and I've gotten much better about it as I've gotten older. But when I was younger, I I really needed time to myself. And it's not because I just wanted to isolate and I hate people. 
I need time to reflect in just about anything and everything. It right. doesn't even have to be something important. Yeah. I need to allow my mind to run and it's a freeing process. Just like what we talked about with sleep, your mind is running through a process to reinforce what you did throughout the day, which is, which helps you create a memory. So I kind of looked at, look at, you know, introspection and, um, kind of looking at your place in the world as being a benefit in the same way yeah. that getting eight hours of sleep is a benefit as well. What, one thing I do want to say though, is, um, you know, I have learned for myself part of the reason that I, I did keep myself so busy. Um, and I've learned to be better about this, but, um, if I wasn't keeping myself as busy as I was, uh, then I would not succeed with many of the things. So it's almost like I'm the type of person, um, or there is a type of person who, if they aren't completely up to their neck in water and almost drowning, if they're just, uh, waiting, uh, in, in the water by their waist, they're going to fall asleep and drown. And that's yeah. sort of what I do is like, you know, I remember, um, it must have been my second, no, second year of college. I don't know. doesn't matter. Um, but uh, I, I took, after taking 22 units and 24 units and petitioning to be able to take that many units, I finally That's didn't have any more classes to take. Yeah, on top of working. Um, I finally didn't have any more classes to take. I, I had like a few. So I took four classes or three classes, 12 units, bare minimum. I also quit one of my jobs. So I went from working like more than 40 hours a week and doing that. And I, like, I know that sounds crazy, but I promise you I was doing it and I just didn't sleep. I was just going all yeah. the time. Um, coffee, <clears throat> coffee, coffee. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. and look, I was 20 years old. I could do that then. I could not do that now um, at all. I don't, <laughs> it's crazy that I was able to do that, but I think it did take a toll on my body. Anyhow. Um, so, uh, so I went from, from that to working about 16 hours a week and only taking 12 units at school. And guess what happened to my grades? My grades fell from about a B average to like barely getting C's in college. And it's because <laughs> I'm like, well, I can just do it later. I have all this free time yep. now. And what happens is exactly. I get in the momentum now of engaging in all these leisurely activities. And I didn't know how to say no to those types of things. I didn't know how to prioritize. And look, I still don't. Um, I'm, I'm not too. great with it. I've just gotten better at it. And so exactly. some of what it is, is that um, if, if I don't have enough on my plate, I'll stop paying attention to the things that are important. And then all of a sudden they're, they're, uh, they're due tomorrow. And, and now I'm sinking in water that's only waist deep. Um, and so it's just a skill that I've never learned. And it's, there's so many things that we think like, this is just something that you develop in life, but you know, over time and, and when you're an adult, but that's not true. You can teach children to do anything, right? Um, I, I often hear this when I'm working with parents, you know, we're trying to get a four-year-old to clean up or organize or, uh, this or that. And it's a little bit of a joke, um, that I'll, I'll say, but but it's also there's some serious to it, uh, seriousness to it where I say, OK, like the the three year old's going to clean up and they're like, he's only three. He doesn't know how to do that. And it's like, yeah, your job is to teach the kid how to do those things. Well, but he's three, like three year olds don't do that. They can't do that. They, they don't understand. Like, yeah, they don't understand if they did. You wouldn't have to teach them anything. That's the point of any type of teaching. Right. And so the joke is, I'm like, look, there are children in China who are six years old and they have annual reviews and work a nine to five job. 
at six. I think your kid can learn. Is that the world you're? (laughs) Is that the world you're calling for, Bob? That is not the world I'm calling for. But I'm just (laughs) like, don't sell your child short. Your child is capable of these things. You just don't want to create a life for your child in which they have to do these things. Because going back to a little bit of what we talked about last episode, there's this idea of relativism, and everybody else is six year old has an iPhone, so mine's got to have one too. And everybody else's six year old gets to choose what's for dinner three times a week. So my six year old should too. Um, I'm I'm exaggerating, Which is a but um, that's a logical fallacy too. The relativist, <laughs> yes, yes, it is fallacy. Yeah. But the the whole point of this was I want to bring it back to this was these are things that we need to develop in our children young. We need to teach our children how to balance uh, their lives out and and get things done in a responsible manner. How to do their work first and then play as opposed to play first and then doing their work. Um, we need to yes. teach them to manage their own time. We need to teach our kids to shut the TV off or shut off uh, the video games before they've played it too long and done too much with it because if they can't do that as a five-year-old and you know a parent says, well, it's just their age, right? They'll learn how to do it as they get older. How? When? The expectations change, yes. And if they live up to that expectation, then they'll learn how to do it later maybe. But the only thing a five-year-old is going to do when he turns six is do the same shit he did when he was five because now he's done it for a year and he has a habit of doing that or a behavior pattern of doing that. There's this weird and now that thing. They're... Go ahead. Oh, sorry, go ahead. Well, they, I mean, now and then when they reach the age of five, by that point, they're starting to understand, even though they don't have a fully developed, obviously, prefrontal cortex, they're starting to understand why they're doing it. Yes. Whereas before, what you're saying is when they're younger, uh, sure, they don't know why they're doing it, but you're engaging them in a habit that they will come to understand later on in life. That's with everything. Okay, so uh, there's this common misconception in learning that people have to understand first um, before they can then utilize something, right? Um, use a skill that you're trying to teach them. So I'll, I'll give you two different examples of things that come up. Um, where it's like we use this thing called a token system. It's a star chart. Um, you, uh, you've probably seen them in classrooms. Um, we use them a little bit differently, but a token system or a token economy system is essentially like money, Okay, But what you do is you put stars on a chart and when a kid gets a certain amount, they get to earn something. And people go, yeah, I've used that. It doesn't work, blah, blah, blah. Um, And when you say it doesn't work, what you're really saying is the things that I give them when they fill it up aren't good. Okay, because yeah, like broccoli or something. Yeah. If if the kid fills it up and you bought him a $60 video game and they filled it up in like 10 minutes, they'd be like, oh, how do I do that again? Right. That's what a reinforcer is, is something that makes someone want to do it again. So if it doesn't work, you just didn't give the individual a reinforcer. You didn't give them something good. And they go, well, it's not deserving of a $60 video game. That's fine. I don't care. We could debate that all day long. But if you want to change the behavior, buy him a $60 video game. Okay. don't don't say it's not worth it because, um, you know, this comes up a lot, too. It's like, well, he's seven years old. It's it's not worth um, giving him five dollars because he just solved the math problem. Three plus five. He should already know how to do that. Yes, he should. But he's not doing it. Okay, And maybe you uh, you hear a four year old do that or a three year old do that. And you go, holy crap, man. That was crazy that you just did that. That is worth it. And so you're you're basing your worth off of relativism. A relativism. What should or should not a seven-year-old or an eight-year-old be able to do? And you can't compare uh, a kid to another kid um, based off of that and what you want to give them for what they did because 
Um, it's not about what other kids are doing. It's about what your kid is doing. So parents say that to me all the time. It's like, well, he shouldn't do that or he shouldn't need to get this. He should just do it. I'm like, yeah, you're right, but he's not. So I don't say he should all you want. It's not going to change his behavior, giving him something really good, making him want to do it again. That will change his behavior. At any rate, what I wanted to step back to, I'm going to when I talk about behavior, I get so excited and I get so many things coming into my head that I will just completely go off track, um, all the time. So just know that, but this is Such where we're weird. And, um, so anyways, what you brought up is like, Oh, people, you know, they don't understand yada, yada, yada. So with this token system, they go, the kid, I don't, I don't think he gets it. He's not understanding this. And it's like, yeah, I know he doesn't get it. I have to teach him how to use this. That's the whole point. If he already knew how to use it, we wouldn't be sitting here teaching this. So parents say that all the time. I don't think he gets it. Okay. And that, but that's how we learn in life. We never get the things that we're doing. If you were to learn a foreign language, Paul, would you just get it and then start speaking the language? Or do I make you start speaking the language and through doing that, through the patterns, through the rehearsal, then you learn the language? Right? The latter. Exactly. Yes. So it's not you understand the language first. I don't, you know, I I don't go, hey, welcome to German uh, 101. Say this, or let's say Japanese, since I know a little bit of Japanese. And I say, konnichiwa. And then they say, konnichiwa. And then everyone, you know, I'm I'm teaching a (laughs) class full of eight-year-olds. And then the parents are there like, I don't don't think they get it. Like, yeah, no, duh. We're going to go through this. We're going to say it. We're going to, you know, start to build it up and then I will teach them what these things mean and that's how they'll get it. So it's just this big misconception that people need to <laughs> understand things before using them. And I, I, I mean, I guess I'm fortunate enough to have studied behavior. Um, you're, you're busting up over there. What do you got? Well, I was just laughing because you're just like, yeah, I, I know a little bit of uh, Japanese uh, konnichiwa, which is a term that I think, you know, 99% of people have heard already and be like me, like say, yeah, I know a little bit of Spanish. Hola. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I'm just working it out of my mind, but I get, I get what you're saying. I, I know uh, a little bit more than that, too. <laughs> uh, I assumed. I assumed. I'm, I'm with you. No, but I, I completely get what you're saying, and I, and I couldn't uh, agree with you anymore. Like, you're absolutely right. Hi, and, hey, really quick, how about this? So you know that, and you know it in Japanese, but if I said, hey, say hello in Japanese, would you have been able to pull that out of your mind? Like, really quick, say goodbye in Japanese. I don't know. You're right. You do know it, though. Sayonara. Is it? Yeah. You know that. Oh, wow. And if I would have said, say goodbye in Japanese, sayonara, you would have been like, yeah, I know that. (laughs) So a lot of us, we we like, once we give the example, we're like, ha ha ha, like everybody knows that. But a lot of times we can't pull it out when we're asked to do it. So do we really know it? That's that's what we call in um, ABA or behaviorism fluency. Fluency is the ease uh, with which we can recall information and play with information. Um, You know, you'd say someone is fluent in Spanish if they don't sit there and go, um, hola, com, como, como estas? Uh, puedes pegar, um, carta? Right? And I'm trying to ask, and I don't remember Spanish that well. Can I pay with a card, uh, or a credit card? And, uh, that doesn't sound very fluent, does it? Because I'm leaving out, you know, specific words and it's taking me a while and I'm pausing. That is not fluency. 
Okay. Fluency is yeah. what I'm doing right now. I'm fluent in the English language. I'm not struggling at all. And so we say we know things, but we're not fluent in those things. We don't know how to play with the ideas. We don't know how to, um, you know, toss it around. Something I'm fluent in is ABA language. Ask me a question and I'll play around with some ideas and spit it back to you without any trouble. Um, and so, uh, there's, there's that level of it as well. So, um, at any rate, the whole point of all, uh, a lot of this was we need to really start teaching our kids some things young, uh, at a young age. And that would be some of these things that we struggle with procrastination. Kids can learn not to procrastinate from a young age. They can learn to shut their video games off. They just need a good reason to want to do it again in the future. Okay. Sometimes they will. Sometimes you'll have a, a seven year old who goes, uh, okay, I've been playing video games for a half hour. Um, you know, I should probably stop. I need to go on a walk. And they go on a walk and they go, they think about that video game and they go, ah, you know, I just want to go back and play that video game. That was really fun. Okay. So you didn't do anything. You just saw them do it. You just let their behavior be. And, um, you didn't give any reinforcement for it. And so you left it up to, you know, chance to, to see what's going to happen, what's going to be the outcome. But if there is a different scenario where if the kid goes, okay, it's been a half hour, I'm going to shut it off and go on a walk. And you go, Hey, you know what? Really good job. That was a good decision of yourself that you're going to go on a walk or get some homework done. You know what? Uh, let's go get some ice cream. And the kid goes, Whoa, really? And you go, yeah, that was a good decision. That was very, um, very adult of you. Um, I, you deserve some ice cream for that. What do you think the kid's going to do tomorrow? Okay. And the if, same exact thing. Yeah, they might try and make that decision again. Uh, and a lot of adults like to look at things from a parent's or from an adult's point of view instead of a kid's. And they'd go, well, I would just learn to work that system. Would you? Would six-year-old you do that? Because I don't think you really remember what six-year-old you would do. Um, I work with kids, so I, I see it a lot, what little kids do. And people think like, well, when I was a kid, I didn't think about those types of things or I didn't do those types of things. And it's like, kids aren't dumb. They think about a lot of things. Okay. And maybe a kid might play you on that, but also kids just like impressing people. And for the yeah. most part, a child who impresses somebody, an adult who acts impressed below the age of nine um, for children, because after they get nine, 10, 11, they start caring about peers more than adults. Um, and not that they don't care about peers before that. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying a six-year-old really cares about what an adult thinks. You go, oh my God, you got that done. And they go, oh man. They, they think I'm an adult or they think I'm, I'm really cool. Or I'm really smart. I'm going to do that again. That is the most yeah. valuable thing to most little kids. I remember one time my niece, she must've been five years old and she, she lost a tooth. Um, and no one was really saying anything. She lost it the day before. And, um, you know, uh, a little bit of time went by and nobody says anything. Nobody says anything. And she goes, Hey, look, I lost a tooth. And she showed me and I go, Oh, wow. That's cool. Um, and I, I didn't make much of it. I, what else is new? What are you doing? Uh, how's your sister? And <clears throat> she doesn't, she doesn't bring it up again. So then we're hanging out for an hour or two hours. And then, uh, my mom comes out, her grandmother and, um, 
I think 10 minutes later or 20 minutes into grandma being around, she goes, I heard you lost a tooth. And she goes, yeah. And she shows her and she goes, oh my God, you're such a big girl. And did the tooth fairy come and leave you money? And she goes, uh-huh. She goes, oh, she did. How much did she give you? And she's like, uh, $5. And she's like, what are you going to do with that $5? Oh my gosh. Do you have any more loose teeth? When are you going to get new money? You know what she did after that? Look, I lost a tooth. I lost a tooth. Everybody look, it's gone. I lost it. I lost it. I lost it. That's all she did all day anybody i'm like you told me 10 times now i know you lost the tooth so that little bit of attention kids get they love and so what i'm saying is being impressed with those things um can get us there and look i i know it's hard i know parents are are busy throughout the day i'm i'm not doubting any of that i know people go oh easier said than done you know you do this for your job and you don't have any kids that's not what i'm trying to say is just do this i'm just trying to say is we can teach kids a lot of stuff and we don't try to teach them these things we think it's something that they develop as they're older uh and so some of the things that we talked about you and i struggling while not having a full plate because we come become too distracted with things because we think we can just do it later and then we are drowning in waste deep water because we weren't paying attention um uh, that can be avoided by teaching things and i just i wasn't taught that type of stuff when i was a kid when i was a kid i got a's and b's without even trying and so my parents were like well we don't need to check on him and you know one day they go uh is your homework done and i go yeah, it's done. And then maybe on the way to school the next day, I go, oh, crap, I forgot to do my math homework. I thought it was all done. I wasn't paying attention. And they didn't check because I got A's and B's. Why check on me? And and so then I go, oh, and I do it on the bus really quick. And I turn it in and nobody knows. And I go, oh, well, that was cool. I didn't have to do my homework last night. I did it on the bus on the way to school. I got extra video games when I get home. Then next week, same thing happens. I forget. And I slowly catch on like, hey, I forgot to do my homework a few times now and nobody catches me and I just do it on the way to school. I'm going to start doing this. So every day now when I come home, is your homework done? Yep. I got it done at school or I did this. I did that. And then every day I just start doing it on the way to school. Okay. Uh, And then maybe as I get a little bit older, I forget to do it on the way to school one or two times. And I tell my teacher, Oh, I forgot it at home. And then I lie and I double up the next day and bring it in. And, um, you know, she lets me get away with it and, uh, I, I don't lose any points on it or I just lose one point, which takes me from an A down to a B or a B down to a C and it's whatever. And now all these behaviors get rewarded because nobody's checking in on me. And look, it's not my mom and dad's fault. Like they didn't know I was lying to them. They weren't expecting a little kid to start lying to them. Newsflash, little kids lie all the fucking time. All the time. (laughs) Yeah. That's one of those things that people go, oh, when I was five, I didn't lie. I'm like, bullshit. Bullshit. You're lying right now. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Exactly. How many little kids have you you seen where you're like, did, where, there was candy just sitting on the table. Where'd it go? And they're like, I don't know. And they've just got chocolate all around their face or they're hiding the wrapper behind their back. Like, that's what kids do. They're, they're, they're just looking out for number one and we teach them not to do that. Okay. Yeah. So we say, Oh, people aren't capable of that. Like, Oh, so little kids aren't, aren't capable of not learning how to lie. It's just something they do. And we teach them not to, they are totally capable. They just need to be taught everything we do. All of this stuff, stuff is social structure. we could teach all the things that we're teaching to adults. We could teach to the kids. I went on a rant hop in here, Paul. 
Oh, you're you're bringing me back to my childhood. Like it sounds like you and I were very very similar. Uh, you're bringing up actually a specific memory of mine when uh, I must have been still in elementary school. Uh, I had a book report due. Oh yeah, and we're going my, yeah, down the par- same path for sure here. Continue. Yeah, <laughs> it, 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 you know my 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 parents knew that I had a, a book report due and everything. Uh, it was due the next day, and they're like, "Are you done with it?" I'm like, "Yeah, yeah, 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 mom, dad, I'm all done, all done with it." And they're like, "Good for you," because same exact thing, you know, the yeah. grades were fine and everything, so they didn't need to, they didn't suspect that I was just procrastinating. Uh, but it was such a reinforcer that I still remember it to this day specifically. And what I did is I was like, uh, you know, I've, I've, uh, I'm a little tired, so I'm going to go to, to bed early tonight. And they're like, well, good for you. So I, <laughs> I went to bed. I went to bed at like, I think it was like eight or nine o'clock or something. And I turned out my lights and I waited until about 11 o'clock. And I got back up and I got a flashlight together. And I wrote out my book report and Can, turned it in the next day and no one knew. Yeah. But talk about setting myself up for the rest of my life because it let me know, yeah, that you don't have to do a fucking it, thing until the last minute and you could still get the grade that you want. Like, you know, and it, it's a, such a horrible trait because, you know, you're right. Like it sets up little habits. And it's so funny. I haven't thought about that in years. But the minute you said that, like it brought it just crashing back into my mind. So I'd like to uh, point out. Yeah. That if I followed my own advice and was your parent, you would have gone to bed early and I would be like, look at Paul making good decisions. Let's go give him a milkshake. (laughs) (laughs) Further reinforcing your bad behavior, your undesired behavior. He's like, shit, I got a milkshake and I didn't have to do my work. And then Uh, I'd be guaranteed to do that over and over and over again. But I still did it over and over again. Like, I didn't need the fucking milkshake. It was just like, well, you know, I'll have my flashlight. I'll do whatever the hell I want. And then, you know, that just got worse and worse and worse. Then, you know, you get to high school and they're like, oh, yeah, read the uh, the Grapes of Wrath. And I'm like, what? (laughs) Yeah. No, I'm going to get Cliff Notes and I'm going to burn through that and I'm going to do it the day before. And and, that's the thing is you, you got to high school or for me, it was I got to college because in high school, By that time, I went from A's and B's in all through grade school to in junior high school, mostly C's to to high school, a lot of C's and D's until my last year. And it was just Mm -hmm. like, I mean, it was weird. Nobody even really cared, it seemed like. I mean, they did. They were disappointed in me. But it's almost like everyone's like, yeah, but he's smart. Like, we know he's just not applying himself. And it's almost... I'm, I mean, looking back on it and for somebody who knows behavior, to me, that is worse. Okay. I just, oh, don't, it's, it's way worse. Yeah. Because I learned all these bad habits of being a procrastinator and not doing anything. I don't know how to sit down and study for an extended period of time. That was something I had to learn through college. And so when I got into college, it was a rude awakening. I, my story is different than yours. Um, my story is I'd have a book report due. And I wouldn't tell my parents until the day it was due at like eight o'clock at night. And my mom would go, what? You have a a report due and you didn't start it? Well, what book did you read? And I'm like, I didn't. She's like, go grab a book you already read. And then like, sit down, start typing it out, write your name. And she starts telling me what to do. And I'm crying. And then all of a sudden it's, that was at eight o'clock at night. And now it's 930. And I'm like, I'm tired and not done. And she's go to bed and I wake up and it's done complete with <laughs> typos, uh, and, and incomplete run on sentences <laughs> and all, um, my mom would just do it for me. And so, uh, I, I didn't learn 
to put in the effort for a lot of these things. And then I got to college and I had to. It was either learn how to do that now or drop out of college. because Just drown. Yeah, yeah. because I failed. Same with me. Same with me. I failed Math 70, which is just below Math 101. But when I was in third grade, I got into the gifted program because I placed 98th percentile in math. <laughs> Not in other things. I was never really that good with uh, English or reading. Always kind of okay Me with too. social studies and chemistry and in history. History was not my favorite at all. Um, in fact, that was probably weaker along with, with English. Um, but in third grade, I was in the 98th percentile of all the kids in California in mathematics and understanding math. And by the time I get to college, I don't even place into Math 101. And I fail Math 70. <laughs> Okay. Somebody who's supposed to be, you know, gifted and just understands this stuff. And look, that might've been part of the problem. They're like, you know, he's gifted, let him do his thing. And it's like, yeah, but I, you know, I still need to be taught. And again, I'm not blaming my parents. They, nobody knows these things. The only reason I can sit here and talk about this stuff is because I studied it. And because that's what I do for my job. I've got so much experience doing this stuff. And look, I still get around my nieces and nephews and half this shit I'm talking about goes out the window because (laughs) they're just like, one of them's walking up and hitting me in the crotch. And the other two are fighting over (laughs) the last cookie. And another one just pooped their pants for the seventh time this afternoon and I'm just like oh my god and so it goes out the window I, I get it um, but I'm able to sit here and reflect on this stuff you know not just because I innately know it but because I studied it so not not placing blame anywhere but but yeah I mean like the the point of this is our behavior patterns follow us and they're very hard to change. We started this episode out with, you know, talking about your schedule and that stuff. Look, the reason we need to do these things is because we weren't how to taught how to do them when we're young. We should be teaching our kids how to schedule when they're five years old, six years old, seven years old. Teach them the night before, what are you going to do tomorrow? Write it down, follow it. And when they follow yeah. it, because we are so in control of children... Right. When they follow that and they do the things they want, I don't give a shit what they put on their schedule. They put, I want to build a Lego spaceship. Great. Put it on there. All I'm saying is organize your thoughts because when you use a schedule, you can get the things done you want to. And when you don't use a schedule, you don't get those things done, even if you wanted to do them, because we just we're caught by the the things that are in front of us. They distract us. I look and go, oh, that needs to be emptied. I'm supposed to be cleaning my room up. And that's my goal by the end of the day is to get the room clean. And I go, oh, that needs to be empty. And I, I open the drawer and I go, oh, shit, I should really organize this drawer. And then the whole day's passed and I've organized one drawer and the whole room is still a mess because I didn't write down the things that I needed to do. Maybe of organize a drawer, empty the trash, make the bed, wash the bed sheets, hang my clothes. If I would have written all that down and made a checklist, I probably would have got a lot further. It's like going to the grocery store. I might've brought this up already. I use a lot of the same analogies because I teach this so much. It's going to the grocery store without a grocery list. You're going to come home with a bunch of shit and probably only half the things you needed. Yeah. No, I, I completely agree. Uh, and that, that was my problem is that you just spend too much time. Like if you don't plan out your day the, the night before, uh, before the night before you start your day, I find myself just weighing the options as I go through the day. Like, is this more important to do next or should I do this? Yeah. Like, where am I at? And you, then you find you're just not getting anything fucking done. I mean, right. you know, you're still getting stu- you know things done, but it's just not an efficient process. But I liked what you said before, though, too, uh, when you were talking about um, in high school, well, you were, you were saying that, that like uh, that it's not a good thing to say 
you know, he's really smart. He's just not performing because that's a reward. It's like, oh, well, they're already seeing me as smart. Like, why do I need the great grade to reflect it? Yep. And let me just give you an example. It brought me up like a, a, a teacher, a parent teacher conference. And both my parents were called into a specific class. It was my English class when I was in high school. And I was in trouble because I was disrupting the class. And Whose my class was in that. Uh, it was Miss Dakwa. <laughs> I do. I knew it. I knew it. <laughs> wow, you knew it. I uh, well, love Miss Dakwa. In my head, I, I was already. So bad. In my head, I was already yelling her name. <laughs> and I felt so bad too because, like, she was the nicest person. All she wanted to do Dude, was she just lives teach right by Cody have- and Jeff. Really? Yeah. Oh my God. If, if I was to see her, I would go up to her and be like, you know, I am so sorry for the way that I acted. Like someone should have, you know, kicked me in the head. Like <laughs> the thing is though, is that she did the right thing by calling my parents in there because my parents are the type of parents when they hear like, you know, I'm disrupting a class or something. Like I remember even getting demerits from, uh, our, our, uh, old football coach and chemistry teacher, Frank Nelson. And I was trying to tell my dad it wasn't a big deal. And my dad's like, I don't care. He's like, you got demerits. Yeah. Like, he's like, it doesn't matter what your excuse is. Like, you're in trouble. And I forgot what he did, but, you know, he took some actions. And so when I got called into Miss Doc was, I was like, oh, man, like, shit's going to hit the fan. But what she did is she was like, Paul is a, like a really, really smart kid. And he's one of the nicest kids I know. Um, but the problem is, is he's been disruptive, but it's not his fault. I think he's being influenced by the wrong people. Uh-huh. And my dad kind of, you know, turns his head a little bit and is like, well, what people, you know, she, you know, he's thinking like maybe there's gang members at the school or there's something, <laughs> you know, I'm not joking. Like it he is, just was like, oh, who just are these Travis people? Reed. <laughs> I'm not joking. That's the, the, yeah. She started naming off those names. And no, my dad, I don't think it would have been starts, Travis. It would have been Matt Kelsey. <laughs> exactly. No. And, and Matt's name came up and that was the thing. It, 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 it deflected responsibility from me. But the minute my dad heard that he like turned his head and he looked at me and then he looked back at Miss Dakwa. They were they had a very polite conversation, and my dad said, like, you know, uh, he's not going to be disruptive anymore. And if you have any more issues, blah blah blah, like you make sure you tell me, sort of thing. And uh, he'll be in trouble when he gets home. I right. guarantee it. But when I got out, when I got out of there, he was just like, these friends are influencing you, and I was like. Yeah, he's like, you are so full of shit. He's like, and I'm not, and I just remember him just being like, you are so full of shit. He's like, you're as big as instigator as they are, and I see it. And I'm like, well, he's like, no, no, no fucking wells. He's like, you're in trouble. He's like, you're you're not going to be going and hanging out with friends. You're not going to be doing any of that kind of shit. Uh, but the problem was though is that there was no reinforcement by Miss Dakwa after that. So I still got away like, with a lot of the other same words, behavior. When you behaved well, uh, now there wasn't anything to pull you aside and say, "Hey, Paul, like I really appreciate you changing some things. Um, you know what? I'm going to give you a little bit of extra class time." Um, at the end of class, you know, for free time or go hang out outside, or I'm going to let you take the role up to the office, like give you some type of privilege because I'm sure you did change your behavior at least for a week, right? Like you got in trouble from your dad. And so you probably shaped up for a little bit, but it wasn't acknowledged and it wasn't rewarded with something. Well, not acknowledged. No, no. What she should have done is she should have just taken up my dad's offer, gotten the phone and said, Hey, listen, we had the conversation two weeks ago and your son's right back to it. And I can't teach my class. My dad would have showed up like, 
So that's but, it, but that would have worked with me. Like you know, it would have it really would have worked so with me. What about it, you know? what about the individuals who don't aren't fortunate enough to have parents there like that? That's and the, the only problem. reason that worked with you is yep. because you had so many privileges to begin with. So the, now there are two other types of people, and there might be more than this. This is just what comes to mind. There is the uh, mother and father who punish no matter what. I had a um, a friend like that who uh, you know couldn't win for the life of him. Um, I would, I would go over after school and say, Hey, let's go to the skate park. Um, and he'd be like, Oh, I can, I gotta, um, mow the lawns and wash the dishes and, um, you know, do, do my dad's and my stepmom's laundry and blah, blah, blah. And like, dude, this kid was Cinderella, I swear. And I'd be like, Oh, I'd help. I'll I'll help you. Okay. I'll come over. That way we can go to the skate park. What time are your parents going to be home? He's like five. Cool. That'll give us two hours to skate. So I go over there and I help him with that stuff and we get done 10, 15, 20 minutes early. We microwave some burritos real quick, eat them, put the plates in the sink and dad gets home like, hey, so we're going to go to skate park. All your stuff done? Yeah. Walks through the house. There's two plates in the sink. You're not going anywhere. Over two plates. Yeah. The whole, the lawns are mowed, the dog shit's picked up, all the laundry's done, the dishes are done, the house is clean and swept and this and that. Two dishes in the sink. You're not going anywhere. This guy could not win. No matter what he did, it was going to be taken out on him. And so that would not work for somebody like him. Um, I remember by the time I was in 11th grade, I remember him one day going, hey, let's ditch, uh, let's ditch at second period. And we had first first period together, Mr. Keith. And I'd be like, what? And he, he's Mr. like, yeah, let's Keith. ditch. I got a six pack of beer left over from the weekend, from the party. And I'm like, okay. And, and then what? He's like, we'll go back to my house and drink the six pack of beer. I'm like, dude, <laughs> You, you live next door to me. So yeah. <laughs> we're going to go drink some beer. My mom's going to be like, what are you guys doing home? You drove me to school. Okay. Yeah. And like, and we're going to be drunk for, it's three beers each. We're going to be drunk for like 30 minutes and then, and then it's going to be 11 o'clock in the afternoon in the morning. <laughs> like, I don't know if well, you're thinking well, this me- through. And, and, and so he's like, all right, fine. Well, like I'm going like, uh, so I'm just like, okay. And what, well, what about this weekend? We're supposed to do this and that. And his response is, I'm going to get in trouble anyways. So, so I might as well make the most of it while I can. Like that was what? legit. His response is, I am going to get in trouble anyways. Yeah. I want to, I want to quickly yeah, win. You know what? No, I will come back to this. You say what you want to say and we're going to come back to that. Oh, well, I was just saying like, this is just, I don't know enough about behavioral science to, to make this like an actual conclusion. This is just me thinking commonsensically, but that's where I think that some form of personality disorders come from, um, Absolutely. in terms of like narcissistic yes. behavior where, where if you yell at your kid all the time and everything they do is wrong, even when they're engaging in something that is right. They, because their brain is still forming, they form a defense mechanism where instead of feeling the shame 100% all the time, they just start saying, you know what, all all. my behavior is good. Yeah. Okay. So that's, that's actually uh, That is a thing because they are exposed to it so often. The brain clicks. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, but it's like with anything, right? If I tell you to run five miles, Paul, you're going to be like, oh my God, that hurt. That was so difficult. That was so challenging. I feel like shit. But if I start doing that to you every single day, you got to do it three times a day, run five miles, run five miles, run five miles in a year. It's not going to take its toll on you anymore. You will become desensitized to it. So, uh, I know that's a bit of a different analogy, but what I'm saying is if I yell at you constantly to you and me, um, 
that like to an outsider, we might go, whoa, that's pretty rough to the person who's in it and experiences it every day. They go, that's just normal. And and now when someone does that to them, it doesn't affect them at all. They get, you know, um, someone reacts to them with typical social consequences that might affect you and it might affect me, but it doesn't affect them at all. And that's how that develops. Dude, I remember one of my friend's moms just all the time, even to me, uh, you, you'd be like, to, to the little brother or to, to her, or to somebody in the house, you might say something. Um, and, and, uh, maybe I'd make fun of the little brother and be like, ah, you can't get it. Or, and she'd be like, how would you like it? if I fucking took it from you. And you're just like, Oh shit. Yeah. Like chimes in or she'd be, I always remember her saying, you better watch your fucking mouth before I fucking slap it. Like I, even said, to like, me. And I'm just bitch? like, <laughs> but eventually then you hear that so much that it doesn't scare you anymore because it's never doesn't followed mean up by anything and it rolls off your back. Yeah. And so when someone who says that to you at a bar, they're like, watch your fucking mouth before I shut it up for you. And you're just like, I heard that my whole life. Yeah, whatever. You keep going with it. Maybe you become someone who fights a little more. All I'm saying is we get desensitized to these things and they don't affect us the way it affects the majority of people. Exactly. And then you don't get the, the feeling of, uh, you can't feel any of it. So you're no. not reacting like in the average person would like the average person. Like if you're being told as a kid to shut the fuck up by, by some adult figure, mm-hmm. most kids would be like, wow, that is wrong. But if that's what you grew up with, your brain just shuts down yep. and defends itself. Cause I mean, how could you live as a kid if you've just felt shame all the time? Right. So you, you start to deflect that brain or that blame your brain, your brain starts to rewire itself in a way to where it doesn't even feel any of it. So right. if someone is actually saying, shut the fuck up, like let's say, uh, they're being completely obnoxious and they're they're disrupting a classroom in a horrible way. And let's say someone just tells them to shut the fuck up. They're not going to feel bad or feel angry because it's like, well, fuck you. Because they don't feel right. it the way that everyone else would. Right. So they don't check themselves and it sets them up for failure for the rest of their life. And you see this in adults and it's awful. Like it is awful because they can't help themselves because their brain as a child is underdeveloped because they were overstimulated with negative feedback on well, a continual and basis. Going back, it's just all relative. If that's what you grow up in, like that's just normal. It might not even like, yes, you're talking about it, it may being not be a personality def- disorder. Well, yes. you're talking about it being this defense mechanism, but like, that's just what the brain does. It takes what yeah. happens and says, this is normal. These things are abnormal. And if this is happening all the time, it's normal. Your, your brain only remembers information that's extremely outside of what's typically happening, either really, really good or really, really bad. Um, and uh, so whatever is happening on a continual basis, it just normalizes that um, because yeah. your brain can't fire all the time. Like it, it has this way of interacting with the world and, and teaching people to learn about the world, but the brain isn't capable of learning every single instance and remembering every single instance. And so what it does is it it takes the medium and it just normalizes it as this thing that it's not going to remember. It just kind of reacts to. Um, and anything that falls outside the normal, extremely good or extremely bad, those are the types of things that, that then get remembered and really change our behavior um, if we're not trying to change it. Um, I want to say uh, 
two things. One is just a really short thing. When I talk about behavior change, a lot of times, a lot of people think like that, uh, whether you're doing it for yourself or for somebody else, that it's just artificial and it's forced and it's behavior manipulation and you're manipulating people. Um, and they go, ah, you know, I don't like this whole ABA stuff. Like you're, you're trying to change who you are by putting in a schedule and it's just so unnatural, or you're trying to take a kid and take advantage of them and manipulate, manipulate them. And all I want to say is that's all we're ever trying to do always is change people's behavior around us. Anytime we argue with them, we're trying to change their opinion. Anytime we're telling someone, Hey, you need to wash the dishes more. You need to do this. We're trying to increase or decrease the frequency of them, them doing something. We're always just trying to change behavior, uh, around us. And so I just think that's completely absurd when someone says like, you're just trying to manipulate or this or that. Like we all are. Some people are just using science to do it. And some people are, are doing it the way they feel like doing it, which is definitely not as good as the sciences. Otherwise I wouldn't have a job that people pay me to come to. Like it's worth my knowledge of how to do this is worth money to people. Um, and, and like, that doesn't go through people like people just don't get that. I say that sometimes like, well, here's what you would do this and that. And it's like, no, like I, you know, I think it's better to just go with my gut on this. I'm like, you do realize like what I'm bringing to the table with this. Someone says that's worth money. I'm going to pay this guy every year, this much money to come here and teach people about that. And I'm giving it to you right now for free or, or not. Maybe I'm getting paid to do it. And you go, yeah, no, it's not worth anything. And because I want to go with my feelings and that is reinforcement too. It makes that person feel good because it makes them feel like, well, I, I just know things and it's a, a father's instinct or a mother's instinct. Um, I don't want to hang on that. So I, I just wanted to say that that people say that. And if people are kind of turned off, I should have said that at the beginning of podcast. But if people are turned off by this whole behavior change thing and think it's manipulation, all your behavior is manipulation. In fact, if you reached out to me and said, look, I just think you're manipulating people um, and I think that's wrong. I go, well, why did you just say that? Do you want me to change my behavior? Are you trying to manipulate me? Wouldn't you love a better yeah. way to get me yeah. to stop doing that then? You're, we're all just trying to change people's behavior. Okay. So I want to go back to the kid then, um, whose father is continually yelling at him, who, who says to me, I'm going to get in trouble anyways. Right. Um, isn't that somewhat now reflective of certain populations within our society? Do we see, um, certain types of people within our society who are always getting in trouble? And no matter what they do, um, it feels like they can't win. Um, yeah, and I'd like to like bring up three sort of subsections of our, our culture or society where that happens, and it and we sit here and we act like this is just who people are. This is just what they're going to do, and it's what they're always going to do, and it can't be changed. And that is so far from incorrect. Okay, um, what I want to say is or the first example is take prisoners, someone who's gone to jail and been in jail, okay? They did something wrong and they get out of jail. Now, <clears throat> let's say you've got a 50-50 shot of uh, recidivism. And I know recidivism rates are higher than that, but let's just say recidivism in... It, if these people were just always going to be that person, they would get out of jail and be back in jail the next week. They would be committing crimes that same day. They would just get out and be like, fuck it. Let's go rob another bank. Yeah. I think goodness I'm out. Go get a gun. Go do this. Like, and there are people who do that. Don't get me wrong. I'm not, I'm not denying that, but I think most people get out. They go on parole. They behave well. They're trying to behave well. They're trying to get the parole officer off their back. But what else are they getting from it? This person now goes and they apply for a job. Okay. 
What do they have to mark on their job application, Paul? That they've been in prison. Are you going to hire that person to work for you? Do you want to hire them to uh, be uh, uh, the maid for the cleaning service who comes into your house? No, especially since, uh, you know, um, there's liability potentially attached to that. Yeah, they, or they might steal your shit. Are you going to want to hire them to work for the company, you know, that I, I work for, where we go and we work with people's children inside their homes? No. What if this person went to jail because they were uh, acting inappropriate with other people or they were physically aggressive? I don't want them to become physically aggressive with the child. There's a huge liability there. I don't want them to steal when the, the mom or dad's not around. Um, do, do, they, do they have to write what it was that they were convicted of or no? Do you know? Um, I'm not sure uh, specifically, but I mean, I know that you have to uh, most of the time. It really depends when it comes to misdemeanors. Yeah. Uh, but with felonies, you do have to say that you're a felon, which makes it really hard to become employed. And I don't think there's a whole lot in terms of explaining it. And I think in in terms of what I'm talking about with liability is like, let's say that you knowingly hire hire a felon and let's say that felon, you know, does something to, uh, one of your employees. Um, as I recall, because the law is voluminous, there's, you know, tons of information there. I do believe, uh, as I remember that, um, you're liable you, because you, you could be liable, knowingly yes. hired somebody who is potentially yes. dangerous. It's yeah, and there would be some nuance there. Now, yeah. What is that person going to do? So, so you you don't hire. You don't them. give them a choice. And the next person yes. doesn't hire them. And the next person doesn't hire them. Who are their friends? They just spent five years in jail. Who do they know? Somebody who's going to get out of jail in in a few months and said, hey, I got this big plan. I got this person who's going to, you know, hook us up with the, the, you know, a drug running business or this and that. And that person's like, no, dude, I'm out of that. I'm out of that. Like, I'm going to, you know, straighten my life out. I'm going to, you know, go back to school or do this. And now they're trying to do that shit and they can't. They're losing because they've got this record now. And I'm not I'm not trying to defend what they did. Um, I'm just pointing out that there's this inherent flaw where we take somebody and we say, this is just the way they are. But what I'm trying to explain and what I want people to understand is that their environment is not allowing them to engage in the appropriate behavior we want them to engage in, going and getting a job and not stealing anymore or robbing or selling drugs. But we're not letting them earn money, the the very thing they need to live, by doing what you and I do. And so we we wonder why we see, uh, we don't wonder, we think we know why we see such high recidivism rates. It's because people who do that are just always going to do that. And that is not at all the case. Okay. They were brought yeah, it up. It makes in a lot a, of money for. What was that? It makes a lot of money for the, uh, the prison systems. I mean, because they have <laughs> yeah, just basically too. a guarantee. But look, I, I mean, it makes a lot of money for the prison system. Sure, that's fine and all. But I think if people generally had a well, different fine. perception. Of, of why people continually commit crimes, right? What I'm trying to say yeah. is that in general, people yeah. think they continually commit crimes and, and that recidivism rates are high because, well, people who steal are just going to always steal. And what I'm trying to say is we need to change our perception on that because if that's our perception, we are never going to, to change the system. We are going to continually treat those people as, as less than human, that they need to just go to jail, to be put in jail, and we should not deal with them. And what I'm trying to say is their behavior can change. We just need to let them win when they change it. In fact, we see them change their behavior and then, and then we go, nope, not, not going to give you money for that. I know you're trying, but nope, you don't get that. And so they just go back to what they know. It is no wonder that they commit crimes again. Unless you're uh, a white collar felon, um, 
which tends to be a little bit different. I mean, th- that's why, you know, they say that you can't practice uh, without a law, law license, uh, mm-hmm. you know. Um, but there have been cases where lawyers become felons. They can no longer practice the law, but yet they still work within a law office because when they were practicing, the felon was practicing. Right. They were goddamn good at what they did. And the difference is, is with white collar felons. And I actually uh, know of a white collar felon. I don't know him personally, but he was a big property developer in uh, in Arizona, Phoenix. Uh-huh. And he was the one that bought up all the property way back in the day, seeing that the uh, that the city was going to expand and they would have to buy the property from him. He did something and he became a felon. Well, he's now a billionaire again. He served time and did all that kind of stuff. Well, the reason is, is because even though he's a felon, people know that he could do it again. And they're willing to put faith in him that he's going to be better this time. But there's an economic advantage to them, you know, wanting him because he is an, an economic machine. Right. Like he can do it all again, so they want to ride his coattails, you know. Sure. So he may not be able to open up a business or get a license for certain types of things, but people will hire him on as like this big consultant, or you know, hire him as an employee. But really, he's the CEO, and that's where there's a difference between you know white collar crime and blue collar crime. You know, the right. traditional robbing a, uh, a liquor store or something or whatever. And those people never get a chance again because there's no riding the coattails. But if you're a white collar, it's a little bit different. Not always. I'm, it's not always that way. But I'm going to make a huge assumption here that I I do believe is correct, but I do not have the data to back it up. Is that um, we probably see uh, a lot more. Um, uh, higher socioeconomic status uh, um, Caucasians committing white collar crimes than we do blue collar crimes um, disproportionate to other ethnicities meaning that um, there's sort of uh, a racial advantage or dis- disadvantage when we play this game because meaning there's like the white collar crime is going to get hired again and they don't have to, you know, resort to that. I mean, it it sounds like they're still going to maybe commit crimes or or force things or maybe not. Maybe they just figure out how to, you know, do it legally, but really push the limits because that's what a lot of white collar crimes are doing to begin with is just pushing the limits and trying to bend the rules as much as they can still within their favor. Um, But what I'm suggesting is, is that's disproportionately, uh, you know, true for Caucasians um, because we are just as a we have a higher socioeconomic status, meaning we are more likely to go and get educated um, and hold those types of positions that allow for white collar crimes. Um, Where I want to bring this to and and the second group that I wanted to talk about being affected by this, um, I think... uh, Um, really pertains to what's going on right now in Minneapolis, right? So um, you have um, George Floyd, I believe is his name, who um, was killed by a police officer. Um, Was that his name, George Floyd? Yes. Um, And so uh, I'm sure everybody knows of this already, but uh, the police officer, um, you know, was had his knee in his neck and um, the the guy was unable to breathe. Um, I 
I don't want to get into everything that's going on right here, and maybe I'm stepping a little bit outside of of my own boundaries. Um, speaking for, as, as a you know Caucasian male um, from middle class who has a lot of opportunities on it, but what I see from this behavioral standpoint and from this habitual standpoint is a, a group of individuals within America um, who are rioting not you know, to loot or this or that. I, I just I keep seeing all these posts where people are saying, oh, you know, they're just looting because that's who these types of people are and blah, blah, blah. What I see is people who are feeling like they can't win. I see yeah. people who are feeling Left like behind. no matter what they do, they are not winning as much as other people are and that it's racial. And because of that, just like my Caucasian friend in high school who said, I'm going to get in trouble no matter what, fuck it, I'm going to leave and get drunk, that there is a yeah. group of people, African-Americans in Minneapolis and all over the United States right now going, we're going to get in trouble no matter what, fuck it, fuck yeah. the system. And, and Burn it down, I, yeah. I'm not saying that that's right. I'm trying to look at it from a different point of view. You're um, explaining it. And and like I said, I might I can't speak for an African American individual um, who's in this situation and and who feels like this. And you know what? I'm sure an African American individual can't speak for all African Americans who are in this situation and feeling it. Um, but I think there is a little bit of that there. And if I'm wrong, I'm sorry. Speak up. Let us know. I would I'd love to know, you know, what is going on with it. But I just see a group of individuals who are feeling like they can't win, and they're saying fuck it because they're getting punished so much because it seems like no matter what they do, they're going to lose. And that might, you might be an outsider and say, well, that's not true. My neighbor's dad might go, that's not true. I bought him a truck and I let him do this and I let him do that. But it's not about what his dad actually does. It's about what the child perceives. Okay. Reinforcement yeah. and punishment, Paul, isn't about what you actually get out of it. Okay. It's about what you think you get out of it. Uh, and, yeah. and that's something that people don't understand about behavior analysis too. They go, well, um, you know, I didn't reward the kid. I put him in a timeout because he was messing around when he did his homework. So I punished him. And it's like, well, you think that's punishment, but the kid might not see that as punishment. The kid might like sitting in timeout because now he doesn't have to do his homework. It's not about yeah. what you think is punishing. Okay. And so if people say, well, you know, uh, they're getting rewarded, they're just not trying or they're just not doing that. It's not about what you think. It's about the individual's perception of what's going on. And that does get a little bit more into kind of some of the, the CBT, um, cognitive behavioral therapy, um, um, gosh, I just thought of the name. It's relational. Um, the ABA stuff is, uh, relational theory. Shit. I lost it. <laughs> it's going to come to me. But anyways, I, I mean, I want to make that point because I think it's something really important that's that's going on right now that a lot of people are only looking at from, uh, you know, for lack of a better term, a black and a white perspective. It's either this or it's that. Um, and, and that's not the case. There are so many nuances playing into this. It's not just, oh, yeah. you know, um, yeah. this person's either good or that person's either bad. Um, you know, you are seeing people who normally wouldn't do these types of things normally wouldn't engage in these types of behaviors um going out and looting and rioting but you know what it's just like the sublime song um you remember the sublime song april 26 1992 oh yeah with, with the riots uh you know he saw the mother when she came out of the store she was getting some pampers 
she was getting diapers, right? Well, yeah. yesterday when I was watching some of this stuff and the lady was coming out of Target, she had a bag of dog food with her kid. And the guy's like, you know, that's looting, right? And, he's, and she's like, what's looting? And he's like, stealing. And she's like, my dog's got to eat. That was it. Yeah. She wasn't stealing a radio system or a PlayStation 4 or this or that. She was stealing dog food. Yeah. But we love to, to, to label groups. It makes our, our lives a lot easier. I mean, because these are complex situations. But I mean, I think that's a good transition, you know, into the, the protest that I went and saw. I mean, uh, you know, it's so easy for us to label groups and just look at groups and just say they're extreme, they're extreme, they're extreme. Look at them as being extreme. And then if you deviate from that thought then you must be an extremist as well. Or you're just an apologist. Right. You're making excuses. And it's like, well, I'm both making an excuse, but the excuse is, in, is indicative of actual reality. Sure. So it's not actually really an excuse. It's more of just an explanation. And nuance isn't fun because it, it, it's it's not absolute. And, uh, and honestly, going into these, do you mind if we transition onto the protest? Because we're already after the yeah. one hour mark. Yeah, let's transition into it. And like, look, I don't want to I don't want to force transition. So um, if we have more stuff after we listen to this podcast and we want to talk about uh, behavior um, more next episode, like I said, I think we're going to get into this a lot. Um, I do have stuff I want to talk about behavior still. Um, you know, I wanted to talk about, uh, you know, education and now uh, the kids whose parents are never there. Right. So you said your dad's there and, and, and you know, he shamed you and that worked. And but that's because you got rewarded. And then we talked about the kid who never gets rewarded and always punished. But now we also have kids whose parents are never there. What happens to them? Yeah. So we'll eventually come back and talk about that stuff. Um, in fact, now that I just mentioned it, I'll bring it up next episode. Um, and then we'll uh, we'll also talk about just more ABA stuff. But yes, I think this is a perfect time to pivot. Um, and if I, I, I just might say some things, uh, that pertain to the pivot. So yeah, now we, we talk about protests that are going on, uh, that have been going on over the last month or two now, not about, um, you know, uh, how African Americans are perceiving, um, police, uh, and the rest uh, of the greater United States of America to be treating them, but more about, um, how, a group of Caucasian Americans are perceiving the government to um, infringe upon their rights. Um, and uh, I, I think I've seen some back and forth with this too, because they're both happening simultaneously. Um, you have a, a group saying that, oh, well, you know, this is how we're treating uh, African-American protesters versus how we're treating Caucasian protesters, right? You got Caucasians walking around with guns and AR-15s and no face masks on, um, and you have some um, peaceful African-American protesters, but you're treating them all like the target looters. And and look, I, I think it's... Uh, not that black and white again. Um, it is, uh, you have peaceful protesters on both sides and not peaceful protesters on both sides. Um, but you have a group, um, of people protesting, protesting about something that seems so insignificant to what the other group is protesting, right? The loss of lives, the treatment, uh, the value of these, these individuals lives versus, um, individuals who are feeling like, uh, their rights are being infringed upon. Um, and there's a difference in what people are protesting. Again, going back to and just drilling this point home, you know, there's a group of people out there who are continually winning 
And so they feel like they can go out and protest something so insignificant or seemingly so insignificant because they are used to winning, because they are used to having their voice heard, because they're used to getting their way. And so we say, oh, you know, we look at it from the outside and go, you know, um, this is such a small thing to be protesting or a ridiculous thing to be protesting. Um, you know, why would they even be going out and doing that? Now, look, I'm overgeneralizing about it. Here's what we need to do. You went up to Sacramento and you, uh, I don't want to say participated in, but experienced uh, the Freedom Foundation's protest. What specifically were they protesting? Well, it was uh, uh, the Freedom Angels. And I think you did uh, overgeneralize, but I think your generalization is typically what the the mainstream media will tell all of us about these groups and everything. Um, I'm not concerned in the way that... First of all, what what are the Freedom Angels? The Freedom Angels, um, they're for, they've uh, formerly known as like the anti-vax movement. Uh, now they say it's the uh, medical freedom movement because the anti-vax okay. movement was just, and, but the thing is though, is that they weren't the only group there. I mean, there were a bunch of other groups that were also there. Okay. Um, but the thing is, is, is that we only have so much time in the day to, to figure out like what's important. So obviously the group that is uh, riding in Minneapolis right now, like they're focused on what is the issue with them. But then there are other Americans like the protesters that I saw that have other issues that are important to them. Yeah. And we can have this bird's eye view of the whole entire thing and just say like, oh, well, it's just not important. It's a bunch of white people and all that. But the the crazy thing is it wasn't just a group of white people. I would say, you know, 60 percent were white. So there's a large majority that were white there. But I would say 30 to 40 percent. They were uh, of other races. Yeah, I saw so somewhat proportionate uh, to the demographics of the United States. Oh yeah, yes, 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 absolutely. I saw. Well, first of all, let me just set the stage. Okay, so I <clears> went <throat> up to Sacramento this last weekend uh, on Saturday. Uh, they were having the freedom protests. They were outside the uh, California State Capitol. Beautiful, absolutely beautiful day. Uh, I arrived there a little bit on the early side and everything. Uh, when some of the reporters were actually getting there. Like and actual just, news reporters, right? Yes, yes. Uh, actual news me. as opposed to us. Now, <laughs> I mean, like, me. look, people, people listen to this the, uh, episode and they will listen to it. We're getting a decent amount of downloads even from the beginning. And as this continues to grow, people are going to go back and listen to some of these things. So, yeah. um, I mean, you are essentially a news reporter right now as well. You're reporting on it. And probably, and the whole point of this is less bias than what's going on in the news. That is the point of, you know, podcasting and other media outlets is, Let's get this without the, um, you know, the divide and conquer type of ideology behind it. Well, well you know, it's just these yes. people doing that and they're against you uh, and you need to be outraged. So anyways, you, in yeah, a sense, well, in, are in, a reporter. Yeah, it will. Uh, yeah, in a sense, just a, you know, a mediocre reporter, I would say. Uh, at least you're uh, not biased. had some equipment failures. <laughs> well, not biased. Well, the thing is, though, is that I just went into there just trying to understand like I, w- I didn't want to go there and like start throwing tear gas and rocking people <laughs> in the face and like saying like I wasn't there to, to disrupt I just right. wanted to try and understand and listen and that's what and the thing is is that I, I will admit going into it 
I was a little nervous. I could feel my, feel my, uh, feel my heart rate accelerating as I was getting closer. You hear the people and all the commotion. I'm wearing a mask. And I am the only fool there that's wearing a mask, you know, like I think I saw like one or two other people, but I was the only one that was there consistently wearing a mask. Yeah. And as I was entering in, like people were staring at me because I was wearing a mask. But from the thing is, though, is that once I got to talk to these individuals, they were telling me they're like, yeah, like the thing is, is that people show up with masks. And it's not because they're protecting their health. It's because they're covering their identity so that they can disrupt these protests to try and show the news media that it's just violence. Right. That these people just want to oppress. Right. And these, you know, they're trying to subvert the efforts of these groups. But the so, thing is, is I went it Continue. Sorry. Go ahead. Well, I just went into it a, a little bit nervous because... You know, it's hard not to consume mainstream media to get information. Right. It's right. very, very difficult not to. And there was a there was a reporter there from the L.A. Times. Uh, she ended up writing an article on it, and it was sent to me after the fact by uh, my friend who was up there at the protest as well. Um, and she's part of the Freedom Angels movement and or the medical freedom movement. And the article, like there was a couple interviews in there, but for the most part, it was her conversation with a, a professor out of Cal State San, San Bernardino. And uh-huh. they were just talking about these various extremist groups, you know, and listen there, when I showed up there, the reason why my nerves were high is I saw a militia group. I, you know, the proud boys were there. I saw blaze TV. What are the proud boys? But, I still don't really know. Uh, I, I, the thing is, though, is that that's the LA Times article said that they, that their booth was connected to the Freedom Angels uh, platform, where the you know they had all the speeches uh-huh. and the speakers and all that kind of yep. stuff. Um, they were talking to the crowd. I get apparently their booth was set up right next to them. And the thing is, it's so crazy is that they were talking about these groups as being extreme, right? Uh-huh. They only talked to a few people in the crowd. So so you drive presumably from LA from your headquarters up there to do to to cover a story about these people and you get there and you don't engage with the people like she talked to uh, a few individuals uh one of you know like a preacher from napa and that kind of stuff but she she instead of and she acknowledged the groups that were there the proud boys and and she labeled them extremist groups Uh, i haven't really looked into it myself to see how extreme they are but but these groups differ across the nation. And the thing is, is that she was relying on a professor from Cal State Northridge uh, to basically talk about these individuals as extremists and that the problem with these protests is that some of the people that aren't extreme are being converted to extremism. Listen, I was wearing a mask. And at the end, I was watching this guy that was, uh, I think he's running for, uh, as a California state re- representative. Uh-huh. And he was giving a speech, and I'm the only one still wearing a mask. And apparently, I must have been right next to the Proud Boys booth. I didn't get yelled at. I didn't get screamed at. No one tried to beat my face in. No one tried to yell in my ear. None of that stuff happened. And the thing is, is that when I'm thinking about the LA Times uh, journalist, I'm like, why not, instead of showing up to the protest, just go to the Van Nuys Airport, appropriate the Goodyear blimp, just paste the LA Times on the side of it, get your big zoom-in camera, and just circle around. Circle around the fucking protest the whole entire time and just look down on the people and just be like, oh, there's a Trump flag, extremist. Proud yeah. Boys, extremist. Militia well, group, extremist. You, looking My at point it, is, yes, she, she already knew how she felt about it 
So she had drawn but her do you conclusion really before she, she'd ever gone. Do you really think she feels a way about this? Or do you think she she goes, um, you know, I've got a story I got to create here. And if the story is not a good story, um, I'm not going to be a journalist for this for long. Right. But like, would, wouldn't it be a better story to talk to the Proud Boys and then all of a sudden have them, you know, say some awful racist stuff or or talking you? about, you know, burning, the, burning. No, no, to her, burning the nation down. Wouldn't that be a better story? But she didn't talk to any of these people. How, I did. I mean, how I is did. how is her boss going to react to that story? I'm. I'm not trying to excuse it. I most, think it's it's the fucked up part most about people media. Applaud it. Most people applaud it, and, and, and it actually makes people like me fearful. It's why Twitter, like I'm in the habit of looking at Twitter because this is, you know, for our podcast and everything, it's a fucking dumpster fire. Yeah. Like, so of course I go into this this protest and I'm immediately thinking like, oh my God, I'm going to get a pitchfork in my back. Yeah. Didn't fucking happen. Listen, the worst that happened to me was uh, there was one guy that took a picture of me. And initially, like, you know, if I had pearls around my neck, I would have clutched them because I had that emotional response. Like, why are you taking a picture of me? But he was right to take the picture. It got to a point where I couldn't I couldn't maintain a safe distance because there were thousands of people. So I'm the only dipshit wearing a mask when it's not going to do anything like, oh, I'm a hero still wearing a mask. But at that point, that's why I'm in. Well, that's why I'm in quarantine right now. I still have another week of quarantine. I'm just getting a bunch of work done and hiking. Like that's all I can do, yeah. you know, and having deliveries or whatever. But, uh, you know, I'm, I'm self-quarantined because there's a good chance that I could have gotten COVID. And that was mentioned to me there. Like, hey, you know, mask or not, there's a good chance you have it. But I didn't get mad at the guy like, oh, my God, how dare you? Like, shouldn't we admit when we're ridiculous? Like, I may yes. think it's ridiculous that they're not wearing a mask when they're going shopping or doing whatever, you know, not taking other people's feelings into account like they want their feelings taken in, into account. But I must also admit when I'm being ridiculous and I'm around three, four, five, five thousand people and I'm wearing a mask that was made by my niece's preschool teacher. <laughs> you think for one fucking second that's going to help? So eventually I just pulled it down and I just told myself like, OK, buddy, you're going to quarantine when you go home like that's just gonna what that's what, what you're gonna do because yeah. i would feel awful if I, I inadvertently spread it to anyone else but the thing is is that like i got super nervous when i walked by the militia groups man they're in camouflage and all that kind of stuff and i was afraid to even make eye contact but they were looking at me too because i was wearing the mask they have walkie talkies and going around and they're communicating with one another i mean if you're an la times uh columnist that is scary they must be extremists so i start talking with these individuals and the people that were there and they're like, well, well, Paul, they're they're former Marines. If you look at their hat, and I sure as shit, I could see their last names and their first initial and all that kind of stuff. They're former Marines, and I'm like, well, well why are they here in fatigues? He's like, well, they're trying to set themselves apart from the crowd, and the reason why they have their walkie talkies is because there have been violent elements that show up to these protests to try and instigate, and the police don't always see what's happening right. until violence is broken out. So what these groups do is they communicate with one another, and if something does start to happen all they do is they use reasonable restraint to keep that person there which you can make a citizen's arrest if someone is engaging in violence you can reasonably restrain that person for a period of time until uh, law enforcement can intervene right and then all of a sudden the boogeyman that was in my brain just went poof gone because I realized they weren't there, you know, with rifles trying to kill people. They were just trying to keep the peace. And the thing is, no one breached the Capitol lawn. There were hundreds and hundreds, you know, thousands of policemen there and women. And, 
they were they got along really well with the crowd. There were no problems that I could see. Uh, like I said, I was weaving in and out of the crowds, talking to different people, and I told them that that I disagreed on a lot of these issues. But I came here <clears> to find out for myself, and they they were all very nice. Like I said, the worst thing that happened is that guy took a picture of me. Can I? And there's one time. Well, good. Can I? Can I throw it off a little bit? Um, and I don't. I don't know. Um, I'm just going to say it. If if this protest, the same exact protest you went to last week happened this week, do you, how do you think it would have gone? Exactly the same or if different? The, if the protest would have happened this week? Like you mean, this it, weekend like it, after it everything been, that's going on in, in Minnesota. Oh, there's going to be more. And do I think that there would be violence potentially? No, no, no. Do I, do, I'm just asking, do you think if that same protest happened this weekend, um, mm-hmm. the, now that all the protests are happening ab- about uh, George... Um, uh, Floyd, Floyd. Um, do you think it would be treated the same by police is my question. I, I mean, if there, if there's no violence, yeah, then, then absolutely. If okay. they were acting the now, exact same way, no. Now I do have a, a, another question to, um, I don't know if, if that same protest happened with African-Americans protesting George Floyd and they were there with guns and in ammo do you think it would go the same uh, in California? I mean, if you're, I mean, it, you know that. Uh, I think it'd be very much different. But the the crowd that I saw, the protesters, like the militia groups I was talking to you about, uh-huh. no one there w- had a weapon. I, I didn't oh, see any I, weapons. I thought you were saying no, they no, no, did no, no, have no, 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 no. They were dressed. No, no, <clears throat> no one there I saw was. And the thing is, is like I said. I mean, I saw a whole bunch of black people there. I mean, obviously not the majority, but, you know, I remember the, this uh, group there. There was uh, three black individuals and the guy in the middle had this giant Trump flag, giant Trump flag. And then when I then you go into the crowd a little bit further and there's this um, this Asian man that holds a sign that says free Hong Kong. And, you know, the, but that's what I'm saying. It was a diverse, eclectic group. It, it wasn't what I was so, e- expecting because the media said these are extremists. And, and Paul, right. because you tend to be liberal in mind now, if you go into this group without just relying on our media report and you go in there, you're going to get hurt. You're, you're going to be killed. Yes. It didn't happen. It's just like, you know, with the, the riots and protests right now, the thing is, is that the, the people that are just peaceably protesting aren't going to get covered. It's just going to be the people that are throwing bricks into sure. buildings and burning shit down. Obviously, because, I mean, that's what we want to see. That's what we choose to see. That's what we want to click on. That's what, that's how the media is going to make more money and right. everything. Um but I would think that both groups, both groups would be treated exactly the same, um, as long as they're unarmed and everything. Uh, and the groups that I saw were were unarmed. I mean, there were people there that I know. Like I, said, I was, was thinking a, they were armed, and I, no, I still no, 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 think no. if they were mm-hmm. armed, that the white group would be treated differently than an armed black group for sure. <laughs> but yes, but that's yeah. what I, I was thinking. So, anyways, we yeah. don't need to go there because it that wasn't be. actually the case. Um, so, look, you you said there's the Freedom Angels and there's all different types of groups. What was the protest about in general? You said medical freedom. Uh, well, I think it was just freedom in general against, uh, Gavin Newsom's, uh, order, quarantine order. Okay. You know, um, basically that it's excessive that we're, that the fallout from the economy is going to be way worse. And the thing is they may be right in that regard, Uh, you know, four or five weeks from now, 
we could be in the middle of a great depression, you know, worse than we saw in 2008, because, you know, uh, not only can people not afford their, to pay their mortgage, but they're actually losing their businesses at this point. And like I said, in a previous podcast, that could really affect uh, smaller supply chains and we could just end up with, you know, what we didn't want, which is a a bunch of, at the time we didn't know how all of this would play out and it could have potentially been worse this way. So no matter what, like there's a losing side to this, like, you know, um, so, so they were protesting Gavin Newsom's order. Um, and that was the main protest was just to rescind the order. But I mean, this week, many things were, were changed this week anyways. And last week, weren't they? It, yeah, they, they've um, began to open stuff up and all that kind of stuff. Uh, but I think they 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 see wearing a mask is uh, excessive, and I would tend to uh, disagree with that. But my disagreement is situational. If it's a place where a mask would uh, you know potentially cut down on transmission, then I think it's worthwhile to wear a mask. You know, but like with me in that giant group. At that point, it's just ridiculous. Like, and I felt ridiculous still wearing the mask, but that's why I'm quarantining now because I think that it's responsible for me to quarantine. Is there a way to not reduce it to the mask though? Because if we start talking about it just being that they're pissed off that they have to wear a mask, I just can't agree with them at all. I mean, like that's me, like me going up. Oh, there's more to it. Like. Fuck restaurants saying no shoes, no service. I don't want to wear shoes. I want to be able to walk around barefoot. This is tyranny. They are infringing upon my freedom to be a barefoot person. Like, it's just like, put on some fucking shoes, man. Keep some sandals in your car. It takes two seconds to put them on and and two seconds to put them off. Yeah. And I would say- The same thing with wearing a seatbelt. Like The same thing with wearing a seatbelt. So can we not reduce it to that? Because if we reduce it to that, I immediately want to throw that argument out there. And it's like, just wear the goddamn seatbelt. Like, I- I get it. Someone's like infringing upon your rights, but like there are other rights being infringed upon. And I don't, I can't relate to you at all as that being the most important oh, right being infringed. No, upon. no, 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 no. So there's, there's m- more there. Yes. So yeah. go more into yeah. it. Tell me what the other uh, things Well, are. a lot of it was just economic freedom and everything. The, the right to, 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 to determine your, your destiny and, and the right to take a risk if you, if, if you want to take that risk, like there was a, a pastor there who was, I think he was in his seventies. Uh, He's actually uh, either going through or, or just finished chemotherapy and everything. And he, you know, a lot of people will be like, Oh my God, what an ignorant fool. He's fully of, aware of the risk to him. The freedom means more than the risk to his life. Uh-huh. It sounds like he kind of lived a great life and he's, he wants to see uh, freedom. And like I said, I, I, the constitution provides for the right for the states to exercise police powers for uh-huh, right. the health, safety, and general wel- welfare of its citizens uh-huh. subject to a balancing test. So it's not simple what's, black and white. What's where the a balancing just, test? Well, the, it has to serve a substantial government need. So if the government says, hey, we're trying to protect the people, so we're going to institute a quarantine, right. they have to be able to justify that. Otherwise, it gets overturned by the Supreme Court. Yeah. But like you said, we just didn't really know a whole lot initially. But the thing is, is that I think these groups are basically saying that at first we really, we really didn't know what was going on. Uh And, but now it's gotten to the point where we're just realizing it's not the horrible disease that we thought it could be. It's still horrible if you're in an at-risk group, but for the vast majority of us, it's not bad. Like the chances of me developing any symptoms are slim to none. 
So, uh, you know, but I'm still going to quarantine myself because I would hate to give it to someone older than me that is at risk. Right. So I'm taking it upon myself to uh, to self-quarantine in that regard for two weeks. But I think they were just saying the severity of it. But the, but then there's the medical freedom group there, too, that that um, when you start talking to them about because they were the ones that were traditionally I don't know if they self-labeled them as anti-vaccination or anti-vax group or if the media labeled them as anti-vax. Uh, but when you, you know, when you see them online, they come off as just being anti-vaccination. But when you talk to them in person, there seems to be a little bit of wiggle room and a little bit of uh, nuance there. There's subtle variations in their opinion and they're not necessarily yeah. against anything. You know, <clears throat> they just want more studies. But listen to this just real quick in terms of the anti-vaccination stuff. I was thinking about it for just a little bit, trying to determine like, because I, I'm not in fear of, of vaccinations. I don't think I've been injured by them. I think that a small subset of the population has problems. Um, we know that that's just why there's, uh, there's the doctor has to give you a full disclosure as to the risks and all that kind of stuff. But the hard part about it is that, you know, you see the pictures of these kids, you know, some of them are paralyzed. There's other parents that are just like, you know what, my kid was this way at one second and then they had the vaccination Mm -hmm. and a couple days later, they're completely different. And it's so hard to argue with them. And let me just give you an example with myself. My medical issues were induced by myself, you know, a byproduct of depression and just treating myself like shit, you know, overindulging in booze, all kinds of different stuff. So that was my fault. But I went to the doctor and I and I uh, told him all of this stuff is going on. But he sees me and I don't look like I'm suffering, but he just looks at me and he's like, you're obsessive. And I, for the week after that, I mean, it was one of the lowest points of my life. Like I remember looking at guardrails as I was traveling down the freeway, just thinking like, God, if my tire just blew right here on the road and I just went off the road and my car went over a few times, I would just be taken from this earth and it wouldn't be my fault. And I would just be free. Yeah, Like it got that bad because he didn't take me seriously whatsoever. And these parents are screaming at the top of their lungs, like there's something going on here. And I, and you know, for, with me for a while, I was just kind of like, come on. Like you're just being obsessive, like it could be anything. And it still could be anything and everything, but I'm not them and I, and I didn't experience what sure. they experienced, but I started <clears throat> thinking about it a little bit differently. Let's say an inoculated virus that's within a vaccine. I'm not talking about the other components that are part of a vaccination. I'm saying, um, let's say a specific child has an adverse reaction to uh, an inoculated vaccine uh-huh. that causes them to have uh, developmental issues that resemble that of, let's say, autism. Sure. Now, let's take that same kid without the vaccination. Let's say that uh, that they actually got the disease mm-hmm. instead. Would they be the kids that would be guaranteed <clears throat> to die from the disease? Do you see what I'm saying? So... Do you see like the, 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 the kid kind of, who gets autism? Would he be the kid who, if he didn't get the vaccine, would die from getting the disease? Yeah, yeah. I mean, do, I, do, you, do you see what I'm? Yeah, saying. Yeah. So that no matter and, what, um, there is some type of biological problem underlying the yeah. individual's health. So if they, so they're they're screwed. Basically, if you do way. or if you don't, look, well, yeah, well, we won't know for that stuff for a long, long time. I mean, we we, we won't. But the thing is, is that the the governor, like, I was reading a story. And I'm sorry, like, I'm I'm just no, jumping in and constantly yapping, but nope. but 
I was reading a story here in uh, Napomo. There's a big retirement community up in Napomo, which is just it's on the central coast here in California. Uh, golfing community, white hair community, that kind of stuff. And their air quality is terrible. And they've been saying over and over and over again that the dunes, uh, the Pismo dunes, yeah. where people ride motorcycles and all that kind of stuff, are kicking up all this dust. Right. Well, with <clears throat> quarantine, all that's gone away. Yeah. Well, guess what's happened with the dust? It's still there. Yeah, it increased five times over. <laughs> yeah. The, the state of California has spent a million dollars a year for the past 14 fucking years. $14 million. Okay, so if you're looking at these groups And they like probably the, won't stop spending that... Like, no! This is not going to be enough to convince them to stop spending that million dollars. No, but yeah, because the, the environmentalists, they had their conclusion that yeah. it was causing dust problems, and now they can't admit they're wrong. Yeah. And so what I'm saying is that I don't know enough about uh, these vaccinations to know whether or not, uh, like, what the, the true issue is with this stuff. But I know enough to know that when these parents are telling me this stuff, like, they they like, are, like, brought to tears because of sure. the thought that they hurt their kid. Like, they should right. have known more, and they ended up hurting their kid. So what I'm saying is like with Governor Newsom and everything, if you're willing to the state's willing to spend 14 million dollars on fucking sand studies, like 14 to employ full time staff. Why can't they set up studies like actually in conjunction with the medical freedom group to monitor kids as they get the vaccinations? Okay, so monitor the kids and i'm talking about not just taking like a blood sample once a day i'm talking about hooking them up to uh monitors to men, uh, measure brain function and everything and i don't know if they've already done this they, sort of thing they've I'm done just, a lot of of studies um and here's what i'll say is that the challenge becomes that if people are getting injured we've talked about this that the injuries are so infrequent already and that the cases of uh, or the numbers of autism exist independently of people who are vaccinated or unvaccinated, that that if these parents are correct, that the numbers are so insignificant that you're not going to get statistical significance when you compare it to the rest of the group. So the way statistics works is it has to affect a certain number of people. So let's say, Paul, we follow 100 children, Okay. And um, 100 children who got vaccinated and developed autism. Um, <clears throat> we already know that vaccines do not cause autism because then everybody would have autism. Okay. Um, we also know that if if vaccines do cause any sort of autism, it is not the the only cause of autism. In other words, you can develop autism independent of vaccines. There are kids who have received zero vaccinations in their life and still have autism. Okay, so the question then becomes is, can vaccines sometimes sometimes cause autism-like symptoms? Because if we found out that it did, we wouldn't call that autism, we'd call it something else, vaccine-induced injuries or this or that. So so it would cause, cause symptoms that look like autism, okay? What I'm saying is that you now have to compare the amount of people who are given vaccines uh, and have autism to the amount of people who um, were developed it right after to the just rest of the general population of individuals with autism. And what I'm saying is we've already done that. And so if it the the um, 
correlation is there. It happens so infrequently that achieving statistical significance when you compare one group against the other is, uh, it's not going to happen because you haven't split the group up of ASD or autism enough. In other words, um, like if it's happening, it's happening in less than 3% of all cases of autism or 4% or, or 5%, something like that. I, I, um, it's been so long since I've really understood statistics well, um, and taught statistics and all that type of stuff that, um, my memory is slipping a little bit, you know, you, if you don't use it, uh, you'll lose it. And so, um, achieving statistical significance, I, I forget what that is. Like with a lot of statistical significance, you're, you're, um, studying how different, uh, the group varies. And so, um, with autism, like you can really only study how many people are getting things, within a recent amount of getting their vaccine. And it, it it's, there's so many factors that go into it that people don't understand. The first and foremost being, and I think I've talked about this a little bit already, but I'm going to talk about it now is um, that autism is diagnosed like depression. In other words, I view the symptoms of autism and I diagnose it. In other words, yeah. it is a man-made thing. Like, like, I'm not saying autism doesn't exist. I'm saying we created the category of things that qualify as autism. And some of the things that we say look like autism fall inside of, uh, of that, and they shouldn't. And some of the things that are actually autism fall outside of it. We just created a basket, and it doesn't really catch anything. It's, I, I wouldn't say our terms are arbitrary, but it's this man-made thing. And I think, I again, I'm sorry, forgive me if I've talked about this stuff before, but... A hundred years ago, um, if you had a bunch of people with autism, autism wasn't a thing. It wasn't a thing until 47, 1947. So a hundred years ago, you called autism mental retardation. Okay. Exactly. Along with Down syndrome and everything else. And if you took all yep. these, um, you know, I know this is not political, cor- politically correct, but this was actually a medical term it. until 2012, yes. mental retardation. Now it's called intellectual yeah. disability. It means the exact same thing. So let me just use that. If you took intellectually disabled people a hundred years ago, a group of them and said, man, what is causing all of this? The challenge would be is that you're categorizing we're putting everybody into the same category. People with autism, people with fetal alcohol syndrome, people with Down syndrome, people with just brain deformations are all going into the same group. And if you tried to cause, find the cause of intellectual disability, it wouldn't work because you just threw a bunch of crap together. And what I'm saying is that's yeah. what we're doing with autism. We just sort of threw a bunch of crap together and it, we're, we just haven't teased it apart yet. So what I'm saying is, you, you know, you, you talked about why can't we do this for some of these groups? Like, that that's already being done. People aren't understanding that autism is just this group that we threw together. Good luck finding stuff. You're not going to do it. If we're talking about doing it just to make them feel better, I guess fine. But I don't think that's a good use of our money. You're just misunderstanding this man-made category. It's man-made because we can't figure out the cause of it yet. Okay, that's yeah, like you're saying I've, it's a I've said it before. That's yeah. like saying, well, can't we just do research to find the cause of all depression? Like, dude, we already know bunch of different things cause depression tease it apart you it's can't find one cause yeah. okay so if well, you want to say yeah if you want to sit here and say that sometimes it causes those types of things i go sure maybe it does all i know is it doesn't cause it all the time because we already tried to figure that out and we're not seeing a clear correlation there at all and if it did cause it all the time you and i and everybody else would have autism as well everybody we all because we all got vaccines yeah 
Well, I don't, I'm not. I don't. I don't know that they're. They're. Well, I mean, they do say that that vaccinations uh, can cause autism. At least some parts of those groups do. And sure. honestly, I, I honestly don't know what maybe to think. I'm fine with that. My thing is that it's. It's like I get what you're saying, but it, it's like one of those things where obviously the medical freedom <clears throat> group is a, mo- a minority in comparison to the overall populace. You may hear and see a lot of it is because they're adamant about it, but it's because these these parents have truly suffered and it's because they're seeing their kids suffer and everything and they want like an answer to it sure and then we just sit here and just you know poo poo it and and all that or not 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 necessarily poo pooing it but we just don't take it as seriously as they would like us uh to take it seriously and and that's a tough position to be in it's like me with my doctor oh you're just obsessive you know what the fuck you're talking about and you you are absolutely right it wasn't just, I didn't have a magic bullet approach to my yeah. entire, to, to overcoming all of this and being able to talk to you the way I am right now. It was a multitude of different things that I incorporated and did over time that got me to where I'm at today. So there was a lot of different things that were impacting <clears throat> me back in the day that led me down a bad path. And then I had to do a bunch of other stuff right. in order to get me back to baseline. Can we can we go back though and focus on something you said that was more important about the anti-vax group is that it, they are new and they are diverse and it's not just do away with vaccines completely. Yeah. Um, I'd like to They're talk people. about that a little yeah. bit more and, and sort of humanize it because there is this view that all anti-vaxxers are just like, fuck all vaccines. Um, as I told you. And, yeah. And if, in fuck fuck society, like oh, right. they just want to kill off everyone, and uh, <laughs> yeah. In fact, they well, think they, the yeah, opposite. That's that why people I went are there. trying to vaccine and kill off everybody. But um, and I'm exactly. overgeneralizing yeah. again. But um, I mean, I I had a coworker who you know was she she's like I'm not listen I'm not anti-vax. I'm just pro-responsible vaccinations. Like, why can't we just tease some of these vaccines mm-hmm. apart? Because this and that. Yeah. And I said, look. I don't know. I'm not a medical expert. Just like, here's my comparison. And it, it's fine. She can she can be that person and she can say that. And I actually am willing to listen to her. In fact, she is probably somebody who has got me to bend my point of view and say, actually, that sounds somewhat reasonable. I just need to do um, a little bit more digging to find out about like measles, mumps, and rubella and if these things still occur and it, like what age they occur if people get them. Um but but I'm I'm not a doctor. I would rather leave those things to doctors. I'm just saying a doctor maybe should be open to that and look at it or speak to it a little bit more. Which is I think your point is is that um, these people just want to be heard. They want they want to feel like like the doctor's not just going like yeah you're obsessive shut the fuck up like. Yeah, you're, you're crying. Yeah, exactly. And I, the condescending, like you didn't know, you don't know what you saw I, because you don't have an MD. And yep. it's like, well, fuck you. Yep. Like, where's the bedside manner? You're, you're not concerned about anything. That's what we need to work on is our bedside manner because it's true. How often does your mechanic like it when you walk in and you're like, yeah, it's making these clinking noises, this and that, and they open it up and they go, okay, I think it's this and that. And you're like, what, what, what about that over there? That bolt looks loose, right? Like, uh, I, I think you should focus on that bolt. It's like, are you the mechanic? Well, we'll know, but like I heard it rattling around this night. Like, okay, I I get that. And your mechanic doesn't know exactly what's wrong, just like doctors don't know exactly what's wrong. But it's the mechanic's yeah. job to figure these types of things out, not yours. Don't take it to the mechanic and then try and tell the mechanic how to do their job. Don't try yeah. and act like you're a mechanic and tell everybody that you think it's the loose bolt, okay, and that they should listen to you. And that you should have the freedom to uh, diagnose your own car. I mean, in fact, we do. Go ahead, diagnose your own car. Okay. 
you can do that. But the reason that we talk about it with the medical stuff is because we fear that it will affect other people. Now, I don't know if that's true or not. That's all I had to say. You go over the nuances that you heard and learned about up there. Well, it, well, the, the, I think the point of everything was the fact that I went in there a little bit nervous. I think people were nervous about me being there because I was wearing a mask. Right. Um, I got to talk to a whole bunch of different people. Um, even when I was walking through the crowd with my mask on, no one tried to obstruct my view. Uh, no one was condescending or talking down to me. Uh, everyone treated me really, really well with, with respect and judging by some of the stuff that you see on the mainstream media, you would think like you want to be, you know, uh, an entire city away or state away from right. these individuals when they're protesting because your life is at risk. And that's just not what I so, saw. So, I mean, and when you dig what about in, the vaccination okay. freedom stuff though? So I heard all that, like what, what were some of the nuances about like the anti-vaxxers? Like you're saying they well, weren't all just anti-vaccination. What were some of them like? Um, well, a lot of them, they just wanted, uh, more research and they, and they wanted to be heard. They wanted, uh, people to consider the, the, the fact that their child has suffered and is the result right. of the vaccination. And my thing is, is that why do I have to sit there and get like super pissed off and upset and then scream? Because I listen, I focus on the law. Like I'm not researching vaccinations. Like I, I, I have to look at case screaming. law. <laughs> I just sat here screaming. <laughs> well, because it's a natural, it's a, it's a natural thing, especially in this, uh, this online world where all we do is we scream at each other all the time. So it, it's hard to separate, you know, individuals from their Twitter I mean, profiles we and just everything. Get caught it goes up both in, ways. Yeah. We get caught up in our emotions. Like I just did. I can sit yeah. down and have a conversation with somebody, especially face to face and try and be calm and explain it or just listen to them. I mean, look, I've, yeah. I've done this, uh, working with parents for 14 years and sometimes parents say that stuff and I don't, I don't freak out at my job and go, Oh my God, blah, blah, blah. And you don't understand. I go, because then they'd be like, don't send this person back ever. In fact, we're going to go work with a different company and I'd probably lose my job. Yeah. So I sit there and I go, oh, okay, yeah, um, interesting, interesting, interesting. Yeah, no, I don't know a lot about uh, research pertaining to that because that is not my field of expertise. Uh, my field of yeah. expertise is behavior analysis. So let's talk about behavior and how to change behavior because, you know, your kid already got the vaccine. There's nothing we can do to change that. So let's move forward. And I, I just sort of changed the subject. So I am capable of doing it. Um, in certain contexts, I just get caught up sometimes outside of that context. And I think what you're saying is like, why, why can't we just do that more often? Why can't we make these people feel heard? Maybe if we can do that, they'll be more receptive to what I'm saying. Yeah. And maybe they'll be more receptive to the protests that, uh, that are going on right now in Minnesota. It's like, you know what? Like we want freedom and it sounds like these individuals have been facing systemic problems within uh, the system and it sounds like maybe they're suffering in the same way we are. Yeah. You know, maybe we should uh, combine forces with some of these people. And the thing is, is it sounds to me like Americans right now are, are just fed up with the government in general, whether you're left or you're right. You know, uh, they, the individuals on the right may say like, hey, you know what? The government's not for us. That's why we need less government. And then the Democrats will say like the government's not for us. So we need to, to have the government put in more restrictions and uh, and change the system right. more. And they're kind of saying the same exact thing. They're basically saying like, hey, man, yeah, this I agree. system isn't working. I, this system isn't working. I and I just want I, I want you to hear me. Yeah. Like the thing is, is like Gavin Newsom, they shut down the uh, the lawn in front of the Capitol building. Yeah. So you couldn't protest on the lawn. 
and it would have been interesting. Like, I think if I was <laughs> why governor, is anybody even there? Like, why can't you protest on the lawn? That's stupid. <laughs> well, that I didn't understand the whole entire thing either. Like, I don't know what was going on before or what, but. Yeah, so they had them protest. They basically shut down a street, and then this I wonder little, had this little if it's because the asphalt and concrete are harder, and people cannot stand on it as long as they could stand on grass with the cushioning, and it'll make the protests end earlier. <laughs> right, like running yeah, on really, asphalt. That's you, a good point. You can't run on asphalt like a third as yeah. as much as you can run on uh, gra- not, um, yeah, yeah. gravel or dirt or grass or something like that, right? Yeah, because shin splints. Yeah. And so I wonder if like there's some psychological thing behind it where it's like, oh, if we shut down the lawns, I hope I'm not giving them ammunition. Someone hears this and they're like, fuck yeah. Now we know how to end (laughs) protests. Keep them off the lawns. So it ends three times quicker. Hey, no, they, they all showed up and no, I'm not joking, man. When I, when I got there, the place was packed. When I left, the place was still packed. I mean, you know, and I, and I left at the end after all the speakers and there were still people there doing their thing and all that. But from what I saw, it was largely peaceful. You know, I saw, um, Hispanic individuals, uh, black individuals, uh, Asian individual, every single ethnicity I, you could think of that was there, including, uh, white people. So I, uh, it I was think, just a mixing pot. I think something really important though, to reflect on with this podcast, or at least this episode, um, our conversation here is that, um, you know, individuals just want to be heard and and you experience that going from one protest and I know I keep bringing it back to this but it's just because it's something that um, to me seems a lot bigger of an issue um, it sounds like there's another group of indiv- individuals who are feeling like they're not heard or that um, that when they say something like black lives matter people go well blue lives matter shut the fuck up um, yeah. and, and all lives matter come on Wait, like you know, we're, we're all in this together. Stop making this about yourself. Um, and so th- I think I think if we look at all forms of protest and all forms of revolt, it's you have people who are wanting to be heard and, and they are not. Um, and, and so if I think we need to recognize, like, if we don't deal with this, that doesn't just make it go away. If it doesn't. There is a leak in your it, roof yeah. and you just turn the other cheek and put a bucket there to catch it or put a tarp over it, that doesn't fix it. Yes, it's not leaking right now, but the rod is going to continue. And when that tarp blows off, it's going to be bigger two years from now or three years from yeah. now. And so, so we all... We all want to turn away from this stuff. We all want to not deal with it and just say, oh, if we don't look at it, it's going to go away. But but this stuff isn't going away. I mean, this, you know, the Black Lives Matter stuff, this started 10 years ago. Okay. We're still here. Yeah. It's not getting any better. It's time yeah. that somebody's heard them. It's time that they felt heard. This whole anti-vax movement just continues to grow. I heard it's even yeah. spreading to Nova Scotia. Okay, it's time that that we sit down and listen a little bit. I mean, I think you're right. Look, I, I just sat here getting fired up about it and upset about it. But it's time that someone sits down and, and says, like, OK, we hear you now. I, I will say I've tried to sit down and say with your friend specifically who, you know, you, you talked about or went up with. I, I have tried a reasonable approach um, and it I don't felt like it worked, but I tried once. 
So yeah. does that mean I just give up forever because I tried one time? Does that mean I just but generalized? Did you do that online? Uh, yeah, I, I did. Yeah. And does that mean I and just generalize against all people now who are like that? Or even that individual specifically? Who's to say if I weren't to, uh, to approach that person with the same exact conversation again and again and again that maybe I get through or maybe that she gets through to me a little bit? Right. Well, yeah, you might just meet in the middle a little bit. I mean, that's what kind of happens with me. And there's probably, you know, some people on the left will be like, oh, you, you showed up there and you just pandered to all them. You didn't hold their feet to the fire. It's like, well, what do you want me to do? Go and uh, spend, you know, the weekend before trying to get my fucking medical, medical degree so I could read a bunch of papers <laughs> yeah. on vaccines and show up there and just be like, look, look what I came up with. Sure. Fuck you. Like, like, that's the no. e- that's like, the easy what do thing they, to do. Yes, I mean, yeah, I want to humanize. Like, just I want to have a human experience. Like, okay, so we may disagree on aspects of of ideology and everything, but I can bond with all of these these individuals as human beings. Like, that's the thing that we're forgetting. And the thing is, is like I heard a few of them say, like, it's just so shitty because. Um, you know, people talk to us and they're reasonable to us, to our face. And then all of a sudden online, they're talking a bunch of shit and they just, you know, say these horrible things. But what they're also not realizing is that their group does the same exact thing. So everyone on all sides is doing the same exact thing. But if you, if you, truly want to understand your neighbor, you got to go out there and talk to your neighbor. And you, if you truly or, want to you, you help know. your country, I mean, if this is truly supposed yes. to be an act of patriotism, um, yeah. you know, you're not going to uh, make this country better by trying to shut down a group of individuals. I mean, that that just doesn't yeah. help anybody, right? Um, uh-huh. So yeah, I, I definitely think... It, I definitely think we all need to be reminded of what you're talking about. And like, you know, one of our first episodes, we really started out about like trying to understand other people. And like, this isn't just something you learn and you do. It's something you have to continually practice and be reminded of because I often look back on our episodes and and go, I think I just ranted about being pissed off about something. And that's not what I want to project. Like I listen back to it and I'm like, is this the message I want to be sending? And, and look, um, I also don't want to have this be something where we're full of agendas and it feels forced. Like we want to get to more, even away from how we did this episode and just more conversational. You and I talking to each other. We talked the other day for an hour. We're like, Hey, we can't, can't do the podcast today. Um, so when can we do it? Let's try for tomorrow. This and that anyways, blah, blah. blah. And then we talk <laughs> yeah. for an hour. Like, fuck that should have been the hour podcast. Later. Like that's yep. what we're going for. Not this, you know, it's forced- a release too. We're shooting the shit. Oh, yeah. It, which is it, basically what a podcast is. You're shooting the shit. That's what I did with those people at the protest. I, right. I shot the shit, but I talked about substantive issues. They didn't beat me with a baton or try to, you know, kill me or anything. They didn't yell in my ears. They didn't do anything. They were all perfectly fine. And apparently I was adjacent to like the Proud Boys, which are supposed to be, you know, white nationalists, like they're trying to secede from the United States. Nobody fucked with me. Yeah. Everyone was was perfectly fine. And I talked with, you know, the militia guys, like everything was perfectly fine. If you disagree, that's fine. But if you're living online and all you see is because like with like I told you before with Twitter, um, I found myself with a tinge of anger even when I wake up in the morning because I go down this rabbit hole now because I haven't been on social media for 10 plus years (laughs) now. And then I get onto this dumpster fire and I'm like, why would they say that? (laughs) Fuck that. And then when I get into the podcast, I'm like, I'm going to lay into these 
fuckheads. And then I'm like, no, 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 no. Because if you were one-on-one with these people, you wouldn't just jump in and call yeah. them a bunch of fuckheads. Yeah. Like you would be more, you know, reasonable. You, you, I'd take on a more reasonable approach, which I did in just talking with these individuals. And if we just continue to label each and every group uh, extremists, like if you're a, rep- a Republican, all Black Lives Matter are extremists. Uh, and then if you're a Democrat, um, the medical freedom uh, movement is uh, extremist and right. we just live along those lines and then we just yell at each other online. And then that's all they know about the group is the yelling online. So it, it, it just serves to stoke the fire and we should just be having more conversations in general. And honestly, it was a very, very powerful experience. Like I've never been to... Uh, a protest before, uh, at least that I can remember, uh, and especially around a big group of people like that that just are showing up on their own when it's not necessarily like a sporting event or whatever. Yeah. And uh, it was it was really powerful and really moving. Yeah. And even though I tend to disagree with you know uh, some of the positions that are held there, and that's okay. That I mean, that's how this nation was fucking founded was yeah. just a bunch of individuals, white dudes, just disagreeing. I mean, back then, you know, it was just yeah, just a bunch of white dudes, like yeah. literally just arguing about amongst themselves. Yeah, you know, we've gotten better mm-hmm. now to where we have uh, other voices and everything, so we have new uh, and nuanced perspective. So we're becoming a better and better nation. But it, we were just founded on, you know, debating and bullshitting with one another. But you had to show up to the tavern in order to do it or you had to show up to the debate hall in order to do it. So you had to look the person in the eye and tell them they're a fucking idiot, you know, yeah. and that didn't always work. So you had to counter with logic and reason or you had to bridge a gap by just having a casual conversation and you know, yeah, no one mistreated me. And I, I prefaced the conversation with everyone that I was talking to. Like, you know, I don't necessarily agree with like all the ideology here. And most of it I, I've, I've, uh, I disagree with. And they're like, you know, but it's, but it, it's cool that you're here. And why are you here? Like, why don't other people do this? And I'm just like, well, do you go to yeah. uh, opposing protests? And they're like, well, no, like, and I'm like, yeah, exactly. I'm like, I'm not being mistreated here. You wouldn't be mistreated there. I mean, if you if you went there, you know, to a, a Democratic pro- protest with a giant Trump flag and we're telling everyone to eat shit. Right. Like, well, then, yeah, you probably wouldn't be treated well. But if you showed up like me where you're just, OK, you're, I'm wearing a mask, but everyone's just kind of cautious. Like, well, is this guy like, is he sick or is he just trying to? And then I tell him like, hey, you know, I'm just wearing it because I think it's the right thing to do. Now there's thousands of people. Now I feel ridiculous. I get that. Uh, and they were willing, like you could tell them, like there's this great relief and this ease that would come upon them because they're like, this guy disagrees with me and yet he's treating me like a fellow human being. Yeah. So maybe that, maybe it's one less tweet that they'll, you know, maybe they won't yell at the person online, uh, when they encounter them later, later that night, because you know what? Fuck it. Maybe not all of them are, are terrible, but, uh, yeah, I thought it was, it was a really good experience. Well, I feel like now maybe uh, I'd like to go to, to one or some. Um, I mean, look, that will be what we try to do in the future is uh, go and get some interviews and, um, you know, hopefully instead of tear these people a new one uh, on the interviews and on here and just be like, what an idiot. They just said this or that, which is my gut reaction sometimes. Um, you know, we we try and normalize it a little bit. Um 
to people who are uh, possibly on the other side. But um, at any rate, look, we're over two hours here, our longest podcast yet. Um, maybe we will split Dang. this up into two episodes. Maybe not. We'll see what happens. Um, but uh, at any rate, catch us next week as we go back through some of this stuff and clear up any um, miscommunications we might have had. And who knows what we're going to talk about next week. I don't think we have anything on the agenda just yet. So um, thanks for tuning in, guys. We'll see you on next week on Wayward Week. Oh, 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 oh